as Magnus punches reality at twotruefreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus punches reality every Tuesday at twotruefreaks.com. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I've been reading comics literally my entire life. I have no memory. I can't recall a single time ever when I didn't own at least a few comics. They've always been part of my life. Now, that doesn't make me some big expert or historian or anything like that. It just means I've got perspective. So what I don't need is some fucking civilian, somebody who wouldn't pick up a comic book if their lives depended on it, telling me that Ben Affleck is good or bad casting for Batman. I don't care what they think. I'm sorry, people, but if you haven't read at least a hundred comic books in your life, and I mean real comic books, single issues, trades don't count. If you don't have a high degree of awareness of comics, I don't give a flying shit what you think about Ben Affleck playing Batman. It literally means less than nothing to me. I've read Batman comics for over two-thirds of my life. I have a perspective of the character that encompasses all eras of the comics, various movies, various TV things, and other stuff. I don't care what some civilian thinks about Ben Affleck playing the part. Now, there are people who are very well versed in comics in general, and Batman in particular, and several of them aren't nuts about Ben Affleck either. And, you know, look, whatever. I can at least respect their opinion on the grounds that they have an informed one. But what I don't need is somebody who would just as soon wipe his ass with a comic book as read it, puke his ignorant, misinformed opinion all over me. If you don't know what you're talking about, feel free to shut up. Now, some people would say that my outlook on this is elitist. All I can say is guilty as charged. It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. 
everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, The Big Book Report. I'm your humble host, Trentus Magnus, and this time I'm once again joined by Two True Freaks co-host and former Carthage New York mayoral candidate, Arthur Ratnick. Oh, I'm using my uh, conspiracy theory name, my alias tonight. <laughs> well, actually, no, and that's this actually leads into something I wanted to ask. I got the bio from your agent. It's actually kind of unclear. Were you the mayor of Carthage, or were you just a, the candidate? Candidate. It, yeah, none of my none of my campaigns have been successful. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I came to ever winning anything was student council president, and I would have won it, but it was it was a Florida situation. You know, it was a Gorin Florida situation. The powers that be did not want want me. That's a long that's a long conspiracy that's a conspiracy story in itself. But uh, it but yeah yeah. Well, today Arthur and I are going to uh, continue our discussion about the Paradox Press line of big books, and today's, as Arthur has already kind of alluded to, is the big book of conspiracies. So, as the title might suggest, this is a collection of several different conspiracy theories, everything from Jonestown to alien uh, abduction to Jim Morrison faking his death. Golly, what else is in there? It's, you know, I think this book is almost one of the greatest conspiracy theory primers you can ever get because it touches on just about everything, just about everything you can think of in conspiracy land from mind control to you know satanic cults to i mean the cia runs all the way all through it the kennedy assassination runs through almost everything right ufos hitler um nazis in america nazis on the moon (laughs) yeah i mean and i actually this i think this was published in and it's shit. I didn't even think the to. 90s. Yeah, well, the 90s, but I want to say it's like 95 or 96. 95. Or 95. Yep. Um, so, because of that, some obvious conspiracy theories, uh, things like uh, 9 11 being an inside job and, and things like this that. This book would double <laughs> if it posts 9 11. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I've, I've got a theory there, and I'm going to revisit that in just a minute. But, um, you know, uh, I guess everything when we get to it in sequence. So. No Oklahoma City either. This was pre-Oklahoma City and Waco. And Columbine. <laughs> and Waco? I thought Waco was like 1993 or something. Maybe it was, but Waco isn't in here. Yeah, well, as I said before, these are all reprinted from those 100% trues. So mm-hmm. these these could all be a, a few years, you know, these could all have been drawn like three or four years, especially with all the underground cartoonists involved. Mm-hmm. It could have been, you know, these these pick these co- comics could be three, four, five years old. Yeah, that's a good. By point. the time they made it into this collection, but yeah, there's no Waco in here. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah. It's not. I mean, I mean, literally, since since this book came out, you could double or triple the size size of it now with all the new um, conspiracy theories. There was a plane that went down outside New York City. There's there's all sorts of stories about that. Oh, you can oh, just nine, go you mean nineteen eighty? Oh, sorry, nineteen ninety five. That was TWA Flight eight hundred. Is that the one? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that one too. Um, well, 
I don't know about you, but I've been looking forward to this for a long time. <laughs> uh, when I first contacted you about doing the um, the big book report with me, this was actually the the volume that I had in mind. This was the one that I was most interested in talking about because I figured that you'd have some perspective on several of these things. And really, I guess maybe this is just a conspiracy of my own to get you to talk about the uh, Kennedy assassination. Ah, I'm I'm prepared to talk about the Kennedy assassination, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, as with uh, the Big Book of Urban Legends, this volume has a it's a laundry list of artists. There's uh, Pat Broderick, Frank Quitely, Russ Heath, Greg LaRock, and a a bunch of other names that I don't recognize, but I figured you probably mm-hmm. do. No, I, there a lot of them are. Uh, some of them I recognize their art from other places. But most of the names in this, as as opposed to the last one we did, which was Urban Legends, which had a lot of familiar names. And and the name we were trying to think of last time was Sam Watterson, the guy who did Calvin and Hobbes. Right. So it wasn't him. It was somebody working in the style of him. Right. But yeah, I haven't heard of most of the people in in here. Hmm. Um, well, I'm – the ones you listed. The ones you listed are the only ones that I really had ever seen – Anything, uh, Rick Geary, you know Rick Geary. I've been, I've noticed him, but man, there's, I mean, yeah, it's a a, a whole bunch of unfamiliar names. Hmm. Well, I'm operating under the assumption that um, most of the art in this book is the kind of thing that could be knocked out over a weekend, and was probably mm-hmm. a, a just a quick and easy way for you know DC to fill the pages, and it's probably easy money for the artists, um, and because. I, most of the artists use different styles from one another. There's a lot of diversity in the material. So to me, just um, putting aside you know, the, the content of the book and everything else, just on an aesthetic level, this, this kind of just seems like it's, it's sort of win-win because there's so many different types of styles that are in it. And I just, mm-hmm. I, that alone I, I thought was really cool. But the uh, back of the book – and normally I wouldn't have even mentioned this, but this was just too too good – the back of the book um, has a bunch of different bios for uh, the different artists, and um, my favorite is for uh, uh, an artist by the name of Graham Manley, and you can find that on page 216. Okay. Um, are you looking at that? Yes, I am. <laughs> well, it says, Graham Manley. It says, quote, Graham Manley, unquote, doesn't exist. The name is a front for an arcane society bent on the mind control of the gullible, by means of coded hypnotic messages concealed within comic strips. <laughs> so, I, I, and I, you know I'm what? Flip into his comic. <clears throat> I think he has a section about um, the CIA's efforts to uh, uh, take out Castro, and yes, that I, just on a on an artistic level, it's it, it kind of has this surreal quality to it. I just I gotta ate that up with a spoon. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's very comedic um, and uh, cartoony. I, I wanted to. There, there were people. I, or at least one person. I think I could have sent a message to about this, but I, I just wasn't sure really how to go about phrasing the question. But I kind of wondered that Graham Manley actually doesn't exist, and that's uh, that's actually a pseudonym for Graham Nolan and Mike Manley, and maybe Graham uh-huh. Nolan. Uh, he was an artist on uh, Batman um, in the '90s. Maybe he he drew, and then Mike Manley inked or maybe it's vice versa i don't know but i thought about well, it does have that look like maybe the inker went through and really detailed it out you know what i mean yeah 
Especially the scene where Castro's flipping out on acid and talking on the microphone. That's what I was going to mention, yeah, because it's, it's just yeah. blowing. Yeah, God, I love that. That was great. Yeah, he probably drew, you know, the first guy drew the picture of Castro, and then the other guy came and did all the fiddly squigglies and the nuclear explosions going off out of his head right. for the exploding cigar gag. Now, the the book is primarily written by uh, Doug Mensch. The introduction is by Ivan Stang. Yes. He basically defines what a conspiracy theory is, the perception a lot of people have about conspiracy theorists, and then tries to have it sort of both ways regarding his view of conspiracy theories. He mm-hmm. believes in a lot of them. He doesn't believe in conspiracy theories, you understand. He simply believes in conspiracy theories. I, in, the cons- in the conspiracy. Right. I don't know. I just I thought it was sort of just a pussy way to do it. He it, it looked to me like he was just trying to have it both ways. Well, if you think I'm a kook, then I'm not because I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Unless you want me to believe in conspiracy theories, and then yes, of course, how could you not? It's just intellectual. Because okay, this is going to take a little preface. I know I know the Reverend Ivan Sting. Yeah, you know him a, personally. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, he used to live he used to live out in Texas, and but now he's in Ohio. And he's he's he and a bunch of like Palma Verdes and a bunch of crazy ranters. They started the Church of the Subgenius. Right. So I've had the pleasure of seeing him. They do. Uh, they have devivals, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll come out and rant for two, three hours about conspiracies. Now this book, he he. Okay, somebody paid him to write the the um, you know the the introduction to this book. Right. If you're a sub, if you know your subgenius, you can read into what he's saying here, and the, and he is definitely taking it both ways, because he knows this book is going out into the conspiracy, and it's also being read by the normals and or as they call them, the pinks. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and so this is also for the you know he doesn't want to tip the pinks off too much as to what he knows and what he doesn't know. All right. Um, I would say right now, Ivan Stang, if you're going to talk to anybody in the entire country about conspiracy theories, he would be the guy to talk to. Because he's not a straight up, he, you know, he, 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 puts his, he puts his mind to it, and he also has a good way of, you know, I, I have a particular, I'll have to find it, I have a YouTube clip, YouTube clip of him actually this actual clip somewhere mm-hmm. where he's talking about when you start discovering um, conspiracy theories and you start really digging into it. And the thing about conspiracy theories is you got all the loony stuff, but you got a lot of stuff that you can, that over the course of years has been played out that it actually happened and can be proven. Right. Like that whole Castro story. That is not a conspiracy story. That's taken right out of freedom of information act. You know, article that's documented. Those were all documented ideas for taking Castro's life. Right. Yeah. All that stuff is sourced as far as I know. So and that shit can start driving you crazy after a while or make you look crazy when you start buttonholing your friends in the bar after a few after a few drinks and going, look, man, you know, it's uh, the cabal of this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. And people start looking at you funny and uh you know, and they're and they're not going to listen to you. And he has a good, good formula of 
you know, how to just meet out <laughs> enough until they actually reach the point where then where you can grab them by the lapels and go, okay, man, look. <laughs> Here's the real shit. It's right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and like, you know, you know, just calm down, take a deep breath. You don't want to start talking to people about this all the time. You, you, you want to, you know, because people get very excited. It's like new converts to anything. They get very, uh, excited and enthusiastic about it Uh, isn't that the true so yeah i would say now that robert anton wilson is dead the 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 leading conspiracy the leading expert on conspiracy theories in america if you want to get how can you say realistic view of it but a, a view of it that isn't completely you know, won't make you into a complete babbling idiot. It would be the Reverend Ivan Stang. Hmm. Well, I think a lot of people would probably default to um, Oliver Stone. I've just, and again, for reasons that we're going to get into in just a little while, I've never really been all that impressed with his conclusions, but he's a beginner. I don't think he's that good. Just in general. He's, he's new to it. He's, he's one, he's the guy in the bar that you got to grab and go, Hey, look, man, Calm down. He's calmed down since. But, you know, I love Oliver Stone's movies, but he reminds me of Henry Rollins. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see Henry Rollins and he's just like, you know, he's he's about 20 years late on stuff, but he'll he'll find some topic and he'll be talking about it as if it was it has just happened, you know, because he's just discovered it. Right. And that's what I think, you know, Oliver Stone's a guy who's going like, I'm going to blow all these conspiracies out of the water. Jesse Ventura. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's another one. Another good one. Lord. I gotta tell you, brother. And and he has a good deal of skepticism, and you can see his brain is working, but he's just fresh to it, you know? So there's a whole lot of bullshit that he could totally circumvent, but he's working through the, the early the early stages of all of it, you know? And that's the stuff that's I, I guess more digestible for the average public who don't think about it, but right. the presentation of it is <laughs> at least uh, Oliver Stone's presentation is somewhat artistic. Um, yeah, and it, it's kind of funny that you should mention that because um, a lot of these books, and this is actually part of my notes, a lot of these books, uh, a lot of the a lot of the volumes in this uh, big book series, they mm-hmm. a lot of them include. A kind of a host or a guide or an MC, and the character, I guess the host um, for this volume, he sort of reminds me of Mr. X, you know, Donald Sutherland's ca- character from the movie JFK. Now, putting aside whatever I do or don't think about the assassination of JFK, I have got to hate, I even hate saying that, geez, JFK, the guy's a name, but anyway, um, I, I kind of like that movie because if for no other reason, it kind of gets you thinking and you know but there's a moment where donald sutherland practically walks away with the movie he has this kind of like a five or ten minute uh scene with kevin costner but mm-hmm. he almost steals the show and really when you come right down to it all he really does is just talk fast that's really it but he does so much with so little if you he th- weaves a confusing web yeah yeah and you know to i'm usually not one to kiss actors asses or anything like that but I happen to think that the movie as a whole would be a lesser movie, as not as entertaining a movie, if it had been anybody but Donald Sutherland, you know, playing the role of 
um, I don't know, a misdirect, you know, sort of the, the guide to the real underworld, the stuff that yeah. – anyway, so – um, and on that note, uh, <clears throat> I like Jay. I, Jay, I thought, you know, people were really, a lot of people I knew and some critics and stuff were kind of angry with JFK because it didn't come to a conclusion. Well, it wasn't but, supposed to, it was supposed to get you. Thinking. No, it wasn't, but it left it, but it basically, you know, the, I, I thought the thematic thing through it was, well, there was something happened, <laughs> something happened that was not the official story. You know, basically, the, there is the the official story is not is not what happened. It could be, here's everything thrown at the wall. Oliver Stone's. I had a friend who worked on um, Natural Born Killers. Oh, and and he's like, I mean, the movies that that's he works like that. He just throws everything. When they were doing Natural Born Killers, the the set the sets were filled with wheelbarrows full of cameras video cameras super 8 cameras oh yeah then that grainy 16 mil stuff yeah 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 sure yeah, yeah. Uh, everything everything they had 35 they had every kind of camera he could scrape up and they had uh, pixel those fisher price pixel cameras mm-hmm. and he would just send people to the wheelbarrow and say ah oh, here you take this you take this you take this you get over there you get over there and he tried everything that he wanted to try at once so and that's what that's what um I mean but that's what I think made that movie awesome. It, you know, I was like he managed to throw in almost everything that I'd heard up to that point, you know. Right. Um well, in the realm of conspiracy theories, at least in my opinion, there are you've really got two granddaddies. There's UFOs and then there's the Kennedy assassination so mm-hmm. arthur and i have already kind of gone through this but what i thought would be maybe most interesting to listen to would be to talk about those two things as our sort of lead topics and then we could address all of the other ones in a sort of you know lightning round but it's just mm-hmm. there's for those of you who aren't reading it i mean this this book is over 200 some pages long full of accusations and innuendo and all these other things and there's just there's no way that anybody could go through every single one no. of these unless you feel like doing like an eight or twelve hour podcast and I certainly don't have that kind of free well, time. And unlike the other one, it's there are one or two page stories, but there's a lot more extended, you know, it it, it has to tell its tale. So there's like stories that are eight and ten pages long. Mm-hmm. There's stories that bleed into each other and overlap into other ones. By the end it just sort of starts doing whole unified fields of of um of conspiracies yeah it's almost like a symphony of chaos it's but, yes um, but but jfk and aliens are pretty much one of the you know the things that run through everything right you can almost find a connection to either one of those in some form of other conspiracy i would agree i'd agree so i think those are the perfect which do we do first? Um, well, actually, what we're going to do first is uh, is just take a quick break, and then I thought we could come back and uh, uh, start up our okay. conversation about uh, UFOs. Okay. Okay, we'll be back. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <coughs> <coughs> no. No, no, that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night, 
No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to, from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a Superman podcast.com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. And we're back. Um, I thought to begin our conversation, we'd go through the UFO stuff first. Now, the physicist in the flying saucer is 
one of the standout UFO pieces in the book as far as length. Um, it recounts the res- the uh, story of Bob. You said it's Bob Lazar. Lazar. All right, Bob Lazar. His really bizarre story about working for a secret government project in the deserts of Nevada basically goes like this. His claim is that he was tasked with reverse engineering the propulsion system for some type of extraterrestrial spacecraft. Where he loses me is that he claims to have seen documents which indicate that the beings who pilot the ships... You get the idea I'm reluctant to say aliens? Mm -hmm. The beings who pilot these ships think of human beings as nothing more than containers. And he suggests that that means that we are containers for souls. And he goes on to say that all religion was created by these beings as a means to protect the containers. Presumably that means our bodies. He doesn't really elaborate too much on that, but the reason I find this a little hard to believe, and normally I wouldn't mention something like this, but I think it's relevant in this case. The reason I find all of this a little hard to believe, and I say this as a religious person, is because religion has been a pretty fucking divisive issue for mankind for millennia. Right. If these beings created, and it's careful to say, all religion, if they created all religion to protect us, wouldn't it behoove them to create only one religion in order to ensure that we don't go to war with each other over the ideas? Well, who said they got it right? (laughs) Just because they're not aliens, they can't be the Three Stooges, you know? And maybe so, but it's just... Right. I don't know, I just, when you think about it, I mean, if you're going to take things to that level, why haven't these beings come down from on high and abolished war, since that too damages the containers of souls? And in fact... If this is their entire objective, why allow us any freedom of movement at all? I mean, why not just keep us in some kind of cosmic nursery or something like that where there's no yeah, chance of – Yeah, grow us up when you need a container or whatever. Right. And I mean, look, I have no idea what this and, – and, and to be fair to him, he never says that he subscribes to this himself. What he's saying is he's quoting from documents that he claims to have seen. So it's not necessarily a reflection on what he thinks. He's simply – he again claims that he's passing on um, things that he's read and things that he's seen, but just I guess on the whole, Lazar kind of suffers from the same problem that seems to befall a lot of these supposed conspiracy whistleblowers, uh-huh. which is to say they get you going in in the straight line of some admittedly really bizarre things, but they keep it just plausible. Ground- yeah, it's all mm-hmm. just grounded enough and it's coherent and it's a sensible pattern of thought. And then right at the last minute, um, that's when they – Yeah, the queen pulls her face off and she's a lizard person and eats a baby. Right, and I'm like, you motherfucker. I actually – you actually had me going for a minute, you know, and and that's kind of what I came away with this. I was thinking, well, the idea of some kind of uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft or something like that, you know, somehow ending up in the possession of the United States government – I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. But uh, just on the surface, I'm not immediately opposed to that idea. But it's just the more you, you, you layer onto that, you can eventually reach that jump the shark moment where it's like, okay, dude, I'm, I'm going to tune the fuck out. You just lost your credibility. Everything. Sometimes, sometimes it's almost like little kids mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're sort of free improvising a story to you. Yeah. And they'll tell you something, and you'll go, oh, okay, I just saw a cat out back in the yard, yeah? And then the cat came up to me, yeah? And then the cat said, blah, 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 you know, and 
Oh. Oh, really? Did it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they're just trying to see, you know, it's almost like they're trying to, whether it's subconsciously or something. I have three, three theories. Well, not, they're, they're not like specific theories, but I think there's three things that could be up with Bob Lazar. And one thing is, one is what he's saying is absolutely true. And that can actually run into both of the other things. And and the other thing is he's a complete charlatan mm-hmm. and he's just making all of it up. He had some sort of weird, you know, he the 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 story of the of the the people, you know, and the government who say Bob Lazar was, you know, they'll just say, "Ah, he was just this guy. He had the, you know, the lowest of low clearance." And he just got the, you know, and he didn't work with us for long, and he just got this idea, and now he's blowing it all up into, out of proportion. And the other thing is sort of a combination of the two, whereas, you know, Bob Lazar might have had done, had some skill that they needed, mm-hmm. and like his story, when he tells his story, and he was a regular guest on uh, Art Bell all the time, and uh, and you know he would tell his story. And you would get every everything. He even it, it's mentioned a few times in here that they would almost show him something. They purposely walked me by the saucers. They walked me by a room, and there were these guys talking to a little gray thing. But it could have been a stuffed animal that they s- set up just to screw with me. And they might have been like, "All right, we need this guy for something. Something might have been going on there." But they said, "Let's, you know." Let's let this guy see a few document documents, and you know we'll set up a little gray area and stuff. So if he ever goes blabbing about it, it's just gonna sound like the biggest bullshit story, in in the world, or you know, right? Because when you start getting around stuff like that, you start getting a lot of stuff that seems like misinformation. You know, like I I remember one person was talking about on Art Bell that he 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 was another whistleblower. And he was saying, well, you know, they, they, they liked the uh, alien spaceship at Area 51 story because it it's, keeps people sounding crazy. But, you know, we keep it secret enough. So that's what people assume is they're doing out there. But he's like, what we were really doing there is throwing nuclear waste down in a pit and burning it to get rid of it. <laughs> and lots of people have been, you know, the real problem with that is a lot of people have gotten, you know, cancer and and died from doing it you know inhaling fumes and stuff but he you know basically he was saying you know we're doing something very mundane and shady there and the ufo story is good for you know messing with people and you know we keep the security up and stuff but you know but there's a lot of videos of weird things flying around there too you know so you, you can never tell what's a real thing you know well, one of the things that, about his story that actually sort of I, – I won't say that it was convincing, but it, it just kind of seemed logical was mm-hmm. that uh, whenever he would introduce those little moments of doubt, you know, and like that one you were t- talking about a minute ago. He walks by that room, and he sees um, scientists talking to a gray, or maybe they're, what they're, they're pretending to talk to a stuffed animal, and this whole thing was just basically an elaborate 
um, experiment just to see how he would react. He would he would introduce ambiguities and things like that to it, so that um, he doesn't come off looking like you know he's some kind of puffed up know-it-all. Um, you know, he's basically he sounds just as confused as any of the rest of us, and he's right. just trying to uh, talk about what he experienced. And then let us make up our own minds, but then you know, but then you get into that whole soul snatching scenario, and I'm just like, the the whole yeah, and 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 then there's also the putting crayons up your ass theory, which was put up by the late comedian Patrice O'Neill, was when you got something that you know that could get you killed, right? So you present it, but you also throw in a lot of crazy shit. Which is basically sticking crayons up your ass. So people go, I'm not listening to that guy. He's sticking crayons up his ass, you know. But at the same time, you're still getting the information out there. So he, there, there could be real stuff in here. He's decorating it with ridiculous facts, so the, so that, you know, the government isn't going to come and kill him. That's questionable because. Well, the way I uh, and again, believe me, we're going to get more into that that kind of line of thinking in just a bit. But my attitude about the subject is, let's say that you know something that is a definite threat to the um, the structural apparatus, mm-hmm. whatever it, whatever the glue of the government is, the you know the very thing that they don't want people to know, and they're willing to kill to protect it. Throwing in a bunch of crazy shit is not. I don't see how that could how that's going to cover your ass. They're going to come for you no matter what. I don't. I've I've never. I've always had trouble believing in this uh, line of thought that said that. Oh well, you know what people do is at the last minute they'll throw something in to discredit it, but at the same time they're still putting the ideas forth. Yeah. Um, I I don't think you usually. If you get killed, you got something, you know, that's going to have an immediate effect. Like all the UFO whistleblowers and stuff, it's built in that they're like, okay, let them whistleblow, you know, because them. If I was the government and there were these guys whistleblowing all the UFO stuff, I would be like, don't whatever you do, don't kill them because that's just going to make their story seem, you know, more plausible. You know, it's just going to add fuel to the fire. Right. You know, we can discredit him. We can make his life hard. You know, we can we can do this and that we you know, we can we can scare him and, and do stuff like that. But I think, I think all you know. I'm not saying the government is responsible for a lot of assassinations, but I know. But whoever was responsible for all the assassinations of the '60s, where there was all of a sudden, you know, the the answer for getting rid of somebody you didn't like who was doing something you really didn't like was to kill him. Right. I think that sort of ended because it it got people's attention and uh, the Kennedy assassination and then all the sa- the string of assassinations after it got people digging into it and well, so right, but those people I, are famous I mean like people like Martin Luther King they had a lot of attention Bob Lazar yes. is some fucking nobody I mean look it does uh, my world still goes still goes round whether or not Bob Lazar is on this planet or not right right I mean, you know a guy like him you could you you can silence whereas somebody like uh, well, he's a big deal in conspiracy world, but that's yeah, that's a niche. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I mean, you're already on like fringe or fringe the minute you go into yeah. to, to uh, the conspiracy world, and but uh, it's just it's one of those things. Maybe I'm just maybe they want Bob Lazar. Tell maybe it's maybe it's that they maybe they brought Bob Lazar out there 
just because they wanted this narrative and they knew this guy had a big mouth so they put on a whole show for him and then you know left him out there well i should say that for a lot of years i was i guess i guess you could you you could call it a, a ufo skeptic and mm-hmm. and that was mostly out of ignorance what i found is if you do and i i, I want to qualify it in this way if you do fair and objective study mm-hmm. of ufo mm-hmm. lore what i think is you tend to become a believer but the, mm-hmm. i guess the smoking gun that ultimately convinced me that something is going on are you familiar with uh, the phoenix lights oh yeah well, uh, another one that would have added a big chunk to the <laughs> modern version of this book. Right. And, and you know, I, that that was actually sort of the tip off for me that this thing had to have been written. And at the absolute latest, I'm going to guess 1990 through 19, probably the middle of 1993 is is mm-hmm. is when work on this must have ended, because mm-hmm. there was so much shit that happened from about 1994 on. Any book that you want to have about conspiracy theories that from the 20th century is fundamentally incomplete without some major shit that went on from about 1994 to 2000. Oh, some we've had. Oh, in the last in the last two decades, from the 90s to now, it's been an exponential increase in conspiracy theory craziness stuff. Right. Just left and right. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the Internet <laughs> being there. <laughs> well, true that. But, but you know, and, and it's actually funny that you should I, – I did some research about the Phoenix Lights, and um, that's, that's what basically convinced me. And what we're – for those of you who don't know, um, Phoenix Lights, this was uh, an incident that took place in Phoenix, Arizona. Lights and craft of varying descript- – and this is all coming from Wikipedia, by the way. Pretty well videotaped. Yeah, oh, believe me, we're going to be getting into plenty of that. Lights and craft of varying descriptions, most notably a V-shaped pattern, were seen by thousands, not just a few impressionable nobodies, but we're talking thousands of people between 1930 and 2230 MST um, in a space of about 300 miles from the Nevada line through Phoenix to the very edge of Tucson. So besides being witnessed by hundreds upon thousands of people, this episode was photographed by and reported on by USA Today and some other big-name news outlets. I mean, this is not National Enquirer stuff. This is, I, I would have thought, reputable news organizations that take their credibility seriously. They reported on this stuff, too. Um, there are, it was an undeniable news story. Right. I mean, when it happened, there were thousands of people calling the police, the news – there were people were running out with their cameras and people were going, it's going this way. And people were coming out of their houses because they knew it was coming their way and taking pictures of it. Right. And there's just too many people who are all reporting the exact same thing verbatim. There's at least one really famous photograph of a flying V-shaped object that nobody has yet argued was somehow faked because you can't. There's This was real. This happened. All right. You, you can't argue that this was some sort of a hoax. I, or if you – I don't know how. I don't know how you fake something like this. Now, I'm not What's saying – What's the official story though? Do you know what the official story is? The official it's, explanation? It's, it's, it's right on up there with what you saw was a weather balloon or something, wasn't it? Wasn't flares. It? it was flares. Give me I a used to, I grew up near a military base. I saw flares you know, almost nightly. It, that's not flares. Flares sit in the sky and slowly drop down, you know? There's you don't you don't 
you know, unless they were doing stunt flare dropping and, you know, and yeah, you could make a V of flares, but it would be this, it would be, you know, the point would be down and the V would be going up into the sky and it would be, it would be moving towards the ground. It wouldn't be moving from one point to another. It might catch the wind but there's no way you would also, unless you attached them, keep them all together in that formation all the way down. Right. That's you know? what I was going to say. Yeah, because they're all perfectly aligned with each other. Yeah. I mean, you can think I'm stupid, but don't talk to me like I it's, am. Yeah, that's just the, it's just a, such an obvious bullshit story. They'd be better off saying, we have no idea, you know. I, I would have at that. I'm not saying that I do or don't believe in aliens. These could be extraterrestrial beings who have come to Earth for whatever reason. And I'm not and saying I'm they, saying. they fly these UFOs, and I'm not saying that they don't. I just, at least for right now, I'm not going to go on the record and, and link UFOs with aliens. All right? I, well, I realize that's a pussy way to do it. And no, I, no, no. I, that's, that's, you see, I think one of our big problems with the discussion of UFOs these days is – People go right to these are spaceships from outer space with aliens on them, and you know they, they go. What else could it be? You know they. Well, they, leading re UFO researchers. I mean, we're talking about people like Jacques Vallée. They have a different take entirely on what these things are, and it's a lot scarier than aliens. Mm-hmm. And it, Carl what, Jung had a, wrote a whole book on it of it being a manifestation of the you know collective unconscious. Which I think it could be close. Which to me makes more sense than than them being aliens from a planet that you can plot in space. Right. Okay. Well, look. All right. Well, I guess since we're on the subject, if 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 there's somebody out there who wants to believe that these things are alien uh, spacecraft, look, dude, I don't want you to feel like I'm picking on you or singling you out or anything like that. But what I will say, as a complete layman. I'm the most scientifically stupid person you could, you could ever hope to meet. What it would take to, to, to travel from one galaxy to maybe six or seven galaxies over, the amount of resources that it would take to move an object from that, that kind of a distance, but taking into account you know your fuel, your time, all the other things – Again, a complete layman. I just don't see how it's possible. I mean, you uh, know, what? But that's that. I I I agree with you to a point, but I also agree that there could be. I also think that there could be if if there were people traveling from planet to planet, they've figured out some way to get past what our idea of physics and you know they've they've somehow circumnavigated the physical traversing of one point to another. They found some way to warp time and space or to go through a gate or something like that. But that's all just science fiction speculation. But I would, I, I would think if there were interplanetary travelers, just by definition, they would have had to have figured out some quantum logical way, you know, quantum logical jump from where we're at. You know, we're cavemen compared to them in in just even our concept of the universe. But that's a big assumption. That's just like if there's going to be some life form that isn't like a microbe on a rock mm -hmm. that makes it here, some intelligent life form that 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 
consciously navigated here. Right. They've got some sort of super technology. But I see no evidence. I mean, there's people who are like, I'm a contactee and the aliens told me this. And it's like, okay, they told you that. Why did you believe them? Right. You know? You know? <laughs> right. Okay, you were con- contacted by these things and then they told you this and this. Just because you don't understand them, you go, you know, they're, they're, you know, a lot of it sounds like the whole, you know, thing of like where you, you introduce science to someone beyond what people have at their hands. They think it's magic. Right. And, and you know, the whole thing of like, oh, we're going to go find this primitive go- tribe and, and, you know, they've never seen white people before. And we'll say we're golden gods from, here and there. What's to say that these guys who are got you on and said they're from Venus and they're harbingers of goodwill from the you know the Universal Council or whatever, what, that aren't they aren't yanking your chain? You know that's a Douglas Adams sort of thing. But you know why would you believe that? It's like people who hear voices in their head telling them to do something. I said I heard Jesus's voice. And, How do you know it's Jesus? How do you know somebody with a you know with a microphone pretending to be you know? That. Well, and like the trolling aspect actually is is something that I don't think anybody wants to take seriously. But I, maybe it's just the kind of person that I am. But if I had the ability to 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 somehow troll a less developed species on a different planet, <laughs> I'm there. I'm there with you. Yeah. I can't promise you that I wouldn't do it. You know, um, just to kind of fuck Strut with. Strut around in front of them, making meep meep noises. Right. Yeah. Or um, I don't know. I mean, it's just. Uh, but to immediately leap to this conclusion that these things are here like here's an idea here's somebody uh, something that nobody seems to want to talk about suppose that all of these spacecraft uh or let me rephrase that suppose that all of these unidentified flying objects are they really are some sort of extremely high-tech extremely expensive very impractical government experiment all right and what what people are seeing are the government's attempts to um perfect what amounts to a sort of non-rocketry propulsion system, all right? That's really all this is, okay? Suppose that – suppose the the explanation was as, well, simple. I'm using that kind of simply or loosely, but suppose that's that's that really is all there is to it, right? There's no higher conspiracy here. There are no aliens or greys or any of that other bullshit. All of that is basically just a, um, a, a cover story invented by the government so that anytime somebody sees something like this, they're going to think, A, whatever the fuck I'm looking at, uh, in terms of a, a picture or anything like that, a video, this has got to somehow be faked because these kinds of um, these kinds of ships don't exist because these types of people don't exist. All right, if you if what you're wanting to do is secure the knowledge, um, or uh, I guess I'm trying to think of the, like if, if you want to make your your government project truly secure, right? It's one thing to make it to to, to keep it secret, but in the but when inevitably word gets out, what you want to be able to do is is contain it. And mm-hmm. if there's, and I think the easiest way to do that is is if you could somehow um, make all of the whistleblowers look like kooks. Oh, well, these guys believe in little green men. You can't, you, can, you can't trust what they say. You're adding another layer layer of security uh, to your secret government project, and the end result is that you know, people, there are people out there who may think that aliens actually do exist, and you know, whatever. But it, it the the true explanation is as high tech and science sci-fi and fantastic as it may seem is still a lot lower down the rung of weirdness than does that make sense sure oh yeah yeah and and you know it doesn't help any that all the 
you know, alien abductees and people who talk about and whistleblowers and stuff all have a lot of similar threads to their stories, but they have all different kinds of stories as to what the aliens look like, where they come from, what they're doing, right, and all that. It's that that you know muddies it muddies it all up, and it's you know, I mean, um, what is it, Oscom's razor? Yeah, you know that says the simplest. Oh yeah, the simplest explanation is the most likely, most most probable answer. So, you know, I mean, and. I could see, you know, and there's a lot of things that sort of support that because a lot of the places where I've seen a lot of UFOs and for, and, you know, for someone who doesn't live like near Area 51 or something can go because I've known people who've lived in Arizona who are like, oh, I know the place to drive out. You could go watch UFOs all night. And uh, right. But uh, I did live near an army base. And I, I saw UFOs there, but I've seen them in New Jersey and stuff. But a lot of where you see people getting a lot of videos and stuff is usually somewhere near, you know, military airspace. Um, and you could write that off to the aliens are interested in our military actions. But that, once again, that's just reading into it. And it's reading into something less plausible than our government's testing out stuff like Mexico like uh, there, there's been a lot of UFOs there, there was a huge wave of UFO sightings and videos a lot of which were fake mm-hmm. from Mexico in the 90s but just huge just ridiculous amounts of UFO sightings during that time period and that the whole area where it was happening was an area where we had some sort of agreement with them to do testing and stuff. So it was all or or near there, you know. Right. Sometimes it was over cities and stuff too, which is, you know, if it was government testing UFO and things, they have to be pretty confident of it if they're flying it over cities and stuff because you wouldn't want something like that to crash in a city for any number of thousands of reasons whether it be like you're gonna you know give up the give up the game and you're gonna kill a lot of people and look have a whole lot of egg on your face yeah no doubt well um at the same time it's important that people understand that ufo lore is not entirely kind of fringe kook stuff it's it's one thing that some impressionable and well-intentioned but Let's let's face it. Ignorant observer mm-hmm. sees a bunch of shit he can't explain. But UFOs have been seen by hundreds and sometimes thousands of people all in one go. Uh, again, the, yeah. Again, the Phoenix Lights is m- maybe one of the best examples. They've been plotted on uh, multiple radars, um, and I think an example of that I don't think is in this book, but one that I found out about was. Um, not Dulles, but I forget the other name of the uh, the name of the other uh, airport in uh, or near Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. the um, the 1950s, and basically UFOs for like a week were showing up and just you know basically uh, stirring a shitstorm. But every time jets were scrambled to uh, intercept them, the UFOs would uh, somehow vanish, and then once the jets had landed, they'd come back. And this lasted for a week, and it ended up shutting down air traffic in in the local airspace for I think that entire week. Um, and this was plotted on multiple radars. This wasn't, you know, um, 
something that only you know one or two people saw. This was on fucking radar. Uh, numerous astronauts, um, people. Let me think. Uh, Gordon Cooper, Edgar Mitchell, I think some others. They've all gone on the record saying that something is being covered up. So Arthur, and some of them have even seen stuff, and those guys are trained observers. Those guys know when they see something flying, they they have a good idea of what it is, you know. Right, and that's and that's to me that's that was the the big reason behind mentioning them. You know, if it if it was somebody like me, maybe I know what I'm looking at, and maybe I don't. I mean, the best I could say is fifty fifty. You know, on my best day, it's fifty fifty. But. Someone like them, if they if they see something and they're looking at it and they have no idea what the fuck that they're looking at, I think their ignorance should probably be of a greater input than mine. I don't know anything. Or, they know a lot. cops too. Lots of cops and state troopers and military people. People who are – especially police. Police are trained to observe. They're trained to be detail-oriented and you know, if they see something flying, they know – they try to figure out how far away it is. They try to figure out what direction it's going and and note all that, you know, for f- future reference. And and there's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of UFO reports of varying intensity by cops. Not that, you know, not that all cop you know, I'm sure there's plenty of cops who are like attention seekers or stuff like that. But for the most part, you unless you're going to be like, a profiteer type guy. I'm going to write UFO books and go on the lecture ter- circuit. If you're just a contactee or, or a, 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 someone who's seen a UFO, the attention you usually get traditionally has not been positive. You know, it's not been oh, yeah. the awesome kind of attention that you want, like for saving a baby from a burning building or something. A lot of people do end up in like contactee groups, and I think a lot of those are just people who are lonely and. A little maybe a little mentally unstable who you know want friendship and community and a, a little insulated family and stuff like that mm-hmm. but uh I mean just the sheer number of of UFO sightings and and I always consider myself somewhere in the level between civilian and like cop or military person because living next to that that base, Mm-hmm. We saw everything that could fly, flying over helicopters, planes, and jets of all types and sizes. And, you know, you got used to how they sounded, how they looked, how they moved. And everything that I've seen that I've been like, that's a, a UFO or that's something I don't know what it is, has been not like that at all, you know? But when you come right down to it, that's really all a UFO is. It's yeah. unidentified, it's yeah, flying, yeah. it's something physical, it's and, an object. That's all that's that – why do you need to put something on the other side of that? Oh, it must in, be this. It must be that. In in our vernacular, in our pop culture, we have equated UFOs with space alien ships, you know, from movies, from just general – and that – is okay for just regular pop culture discussion of it but if you really want to seriously discuss ufos and take an interest in them you have to take you have to strip that away from them you know you have to start from the beginning of like okay there's something in the air i don't know what it is you know let's start striking off what it could be and then try to figure it out from there and you know until that ship lands and an alien comes out. Now, somebody who got picked up by a ship 
and little gray aliens came and brought them on board. I don't blame them if that really happened. Right. Going, I got abducted by aliens. You know, making that leap of logic because they had the physical experience of it. Right. Um, but it's just it's just weird, and it's and the whole thing that like anybody has that experience it mostly comes out in hypnosis and stuff that's very sketchy to me too you might believe it or not but scientifically that's where you start losing me you know that's where i start going well okay now we're going into theory land as soon as you start hypnotizing people i don't believe the thing that where you hypnotize someone and go into their brain Mm -hmm. that you're just reading facts like off a computer because a brain is a creative instrument. It dreams, it thinks up stuff, and if you're hypnotizing somebody and activating their brain, it might be giving you something real. It might be just putting something together to answer a question, you know? You don't know. Right. Well, all of this actually sort of leads, and I'm not sure maybe you did just answer it, but the question I had was, what do you personally think is being covered up? And then, I guess... Why? Why would you know what what's being covered up and and why why the secrecy? Um. Okay, so so what I believe is of course not based in any kind of factual stuff. There, there's two. There's what I believe in a scientific level, and that is that something is happening, right? And it's most likely most of it is. You can write it off to people not knowing what they're looking at, and then the and then a good chunk of what's left you could write off to the government doing it, and the other stuff, who knows. But my suspicion from all the different I, – I've read all the, like, Whitley Stryber books. The thing that got me really into it, mm-hmm. outside of Close Encounters of the First Third Kind um, – was reading uh, the incident at Exeter. If you've ever heard of that, it was a story of Barney and Betty Hill. Yes, 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 yes. Famous abductees. I read that when I was a little kid. I found it in the li- the Carthage Library, and you know, it was it was basically transcripts of their hip- hypnosis sessions. And as a kid, you know, you take that stuff. You, you're reading it in a book, and it's presented in that fo- in documentary form like that. Yeah, I took it as gospel truth, and it, you know, blew my mind. You know, the, and it, and it and it turned that turned out to be basically your basic, almost, you know, um, template for an alien abduction. You know. Driving along, minding our own business, and oh, what's that? A UFO? Weird things happening, like their car beeping, and and then having like weird memories of like I don't really remember what was going on then, and then there was some people in the road, and then we were driving home, you know, and missing space, and then slowly, you know, discovering that they were brought on board and probed and talked to and shown maps and. And you know the, the the whole standard thing, and that blew my mind. Right. And then I worked up from reading everything that I could, and I, I got to I was very lucky to see before he died a uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Right. Was, uh, came to the local community college and gave a lecture, and my dad was nice enough, humored me enough to take me to that. That must and, have been cool. Uh, that was really cool. 
lots of picture, you know, lots of the famous UFO pictures now that you can see on the internet all the time. But then, you know, you had to find weird UFO magazines and stuff like that. And then John Lennon saw a UFO, and I remember reading about that. Didn't and Jimmy, Jimmy Carter? Carter yeah. Yep. Yeah. Jimmy Carter came out and said he'd seen a UFO, and so it was, it was almost you know, trendy at that point. Mm-hmm. And well, it's it's almost in the '90s. It got really trendy, like the alien, you know, image was built into clothes and into everything. Computers had aliens. All everything had aliens on them. Yeah, I remember that. I thought that was kind I remember of lame. you'd go to the fair and they'd be. You could win the giant drink dispensers that were shaped like aliens with straws coming out of their head. You know, to that point. Yeah. But then, like Whitley Strieber books came out, and then someone gave me Carl Jung's book on UFOs, and Strieber started. You know, he was basically talking about his own experiences, real or imagined. But he like. <clears throat> like Lazar, all through the process, he's going, you know, maybe I'm having a psychotic episode, you know. And, and then these doctors talk about night terrors and sleep paralysis and stuff like that and how you, you'll wake up and you, you have this sort of condition where you'll wake up and you'll still be dreaming, but your body will be paralyzed because it thinks it's asleep and you'll panic and you'll be dreaming at the same time. So... Yeah, that's happened to everybody, happen. hasn't it? I mean, everyone goes through that. To some extent, but they're saying that's for the people who, like, wake up. and they, Like, a lot of the people who are contactees will wake up and they can't move their body. And then the aliens come through the wall and float them up out of their body and take them onto their spaceship. You know, and, and, they, and they experience it as real, you know, as far as they say. And supposedly there's a, you know... Uh, uh, an explanation for that i'm thinking i personally and i've also known some people who've had military experience who've bit, said cryptic things where they're like i can't say anything <laughs> right but let me tell you there's there's some truth to it you know i think there's a physical aspect to it but i also think there's an a psychological aspect to it at the same time mm-hmm. and to where it gets into something to into real weirdness into something i don't want to say metaphysical because it's only metaphysical because we don't understand it i don't believe i don't like the word magic okay i, I like the word magic as a hey, it's a magic time or the magic happened or that was really magical or whatever right but you don't like that as the explanation the the, the 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 idea of magic being something there's science in the real world and then there's the paranormal that's the the paranormal the the stuff that goes beyond the laws of physics and can't be described by this and that you know and right. religion gets ascribed to it i think on some level there's a scientific explanation in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there. Uh, um, but anyway, I think I think aliens are some sort of more like a manifestation than anything else. And I think the whole UFO aspect of it might be just there's some. I think there's something going on, and however it goes on our brains have to turn it into metaphor (laughs) okay you know to understand it to grip it like religion so 
Um, I had a schizophrenic roommate years ago, and he used to always talk about the aliens. You know, the aliens were talking to him in his head. And he was like, it's like they tell me they're right behind us. You know, they're, they're like they're in the room with us, but we can't see them because they're just behind us. And he interpreted it that as to like they're hiding, physically hiding behind you and just keep moving. And I'm like oh. saying, well, maybe that means they're like on a little different wavelength than us or something. And then one morning he got up and he's like, UFOs are made of styrofoam. I said, what do you mean UFOs are? He's like, that's what they tell me. They said, if you're out, out and you look up at the sky and you see a UFO, all you're seeing is a piece of styrofoam with the word UFO on it. Wow. <laughs> and that's exactly what I said. And he's just like, what the hell? Why are UFOs made of styrofoam? And I'm like, no, dude. Dude, man. <laughs> wow. Dude, no, it's like this. Oh. The, 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 I'm, I, I'm thinking that he, it, whatever they were saying, it's a metaphor. They're saying you're seeing something and the styrofoam aspect means it's not real and UFO is something that you're projecting onto it. Right. And he goes, nope, nope, it's made of styrofoam. And then I'm thinking, how could this guy's subconscious come up with this lovely metaphor and at the same time take it literally and not get it? Drugs? <laughs> yeah, so drugs were definitely involved in that, you know. <laughs> And, and yeah, much harder, you know, and like lots of psychedelics. He was doing lots of psychedelics for years at that point yeah. and had a history of schizophrenia in his family and was in his mid-20s when it usually strikes. So, yeah, it was it well, was. I think we got our answer right there then. <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know what it is, but it's something... It's something... It's something weird, and that's why you get such a despair disparity of descriptions of it because it comes through a filter of it might even explain people who see have religious visions mm -hmm. you know and so since they live in a religious filter that's what they see i think it's a phenomenon i think it's been a phenomenon since humanity's been human you know in one way or another just perceived differently but at the same time, I think maybe it could... I like the idea that... I, I love the whole narrative. My favorite narrative of UFO... The whole... Of what what the people who try to explain UFOs is... That it's some version of man from the future... Where we've evolved, but we've screwed up our genetics... So we keep coming back. So now we've also found out how to do interdimensional time travel. So we keep coming back to, you know, earlier times so we can get some good, good DNA to keep the, the race going. You know, by that time, we're probably just growing the bodies of grays to, to plop our consciousness in. Either that or <clears throat> my personal favorite is the grays are basically the only thing they can get through the dimensional, you know, they're like these jelly-like avatar. They're like avatars. Right. You know? So so that, that, that's the only thing they can, wh whatever they are, they're in another dimension, you know, Cthulhu-like, and they just like can pop a bit of their consciousness into a gray and go and do whatever they have to do. 
and maybe manifest a, a ship out of molecules from the air to fly around and and make meat meat noises at the at the locals. Mm. <laughs> well, I honestly have no way. I have no idea how to follow something like that. So, well, what I've, do you think? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I mean, I I've tried very hard not to uh, assign a theory on this because number one, uh-huh. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a physicist. I mean, you go down the, the, I guess, the laundry list of things that you would need to have some kind of a, an informed, I, I don't know if I should say expert, but some kind of an informed opinion. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like I'm not the guy, you know, to talk to about that. I believe that, and I know this is kind of a pussy way to say it, but I believe that there are these things, these objects, that, and I believe that they fly, and I believe we have no, or most of us have no fucking idea what they are, and that's about... The, about the most that I'm willing to say and you know that's not for, being a pussy that's being honest and rational about it you know well that, I mean 99.9% of what everybody talks about really they don't have a, they don't and can't have enough information to really know what they're talking about right so people don't say I don't know enough you know well uh, for the next section I'm definitely not going to be saying I well, I'm going to be saying I don't know, but I'm also going to throw out uh, – I'm, I'm going to kind of roll out a, a grenade, but we'll come to that when we come to that. For right now, we're going to, we're going to take another uh, break. But before we do, I just want to um, uh, point the listeners to – there's a Wikipedia page, and I know what people say about Wikipedia. Anybody can edit it. You know, Okay, great. Welcome to 2007, people. I'm right. glad you're here. <laughs> um, anyway, but there is a listing of UFO sightings. Now, n- not necessarily every single one of these – is corroborated maybe is the best way to say it you know uh, the right. phoenix lights i feel like we have enough sources on that enough eyewitnesses on that to say that you know what what those people are all talking about something very close to what they're saying probably happened others of these things are not necessarily so well sourced but i do want to uh, just kind of point listeners in that direction because finding that page was kind of the final nail of uh, the final nail in the coffin of at least my skepticism about UFOs. Whenever I, I looked at these, um, all of the, all of these different stories, and they go back, I mean, centuries. You know, this is not necessarily a recent thing at all. But what you find is that there are certain kind of common elements that keep that keep repeating themselves. Not necessarily every time, but they come up often enough. Um, I think maybe okay, like a good example is uh, human reproduction. I mean, whether or not you think that these these ufos or these people if they even exist or what either the either these beings or the, or these victims have a very strange fixation on human reproduction that's a kind of a recurring thing um uh invasive uh, procedures that leave scars or are claimed to have left scars yeah you know think- a weird combination of ver- of like peacefulness like we you know we come in peace we mean you no harm and a weird sort of also non-empathy to where they're you know probing some making people horribly uncomfortable or completely terrified and not aware of it you know that seemingly unaware of it right while at the same time going we're not going to hurt you sort of like Kirk was in the original trek <laughs> right well and um Anyway, so but some of these, um, especially uh, what I would want to point people to, since we've kind of glossed over it, is um, the incident in uh, Rendlesham Forest. I want to say it was Christmas Eve of December of 1980. I'm going completely off memory on that one, but I think that's right. In the UK, there was 
over a period of something like four days, um, fucking something happened in, in Rendlesham Forest, and it was severe enough that um, it altered the soil, um, the, the the local soil where there was a, I, I don't people want to throw the word radiation around. I don't want to say that, but I think what they found was um, very higher levels of uh, of different kinds of metals and things that were foreign to the soil up to that point hadn't been there before but following this incident suddenly there's these trace metals that are found in the soil basically weird stuff like that all i wanted people to do really is just keep an open mind and i think that if you do you'll eventually come at the very least you'll probably come to the same level that i'm at which is to say something really fucked up is going on and i don't know what it is and i guess at the end of the day that's about the most you can ask for does that sound reasonable yes it does all right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take another break, and uh, we'll be we'll be back uh, after I play a, a couple of promos. So stay tuned. Together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth, are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com.
Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, Monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. And we're back now, continuing our discussion of the big book of conspiracies. Now, what arguably gets more attention than anything else in this book is the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And the reason for that is because, let's face it, this is really the granddaddy of all conspiracy theories. It's like Arthur said, it's kind of the grand central station of conspiracy theories. Of modern conspiracy, you know, of within the last few generations lifetime you know absolutely you know beyond like the illuminati and stuff like that it's it's the yeah it's the grandpappy it's still going strong i'm pretty pretty sure that this is like the nexus point everything that happened before and everything that's happened since rightly or wrongly can all be tied back into the back to the kennedy assassination so i guess it's logical that it's gotten so much attention because i I don't want to say that every single book, or rather every single uh, story in this book, um, relates back to it, but I think all of, uh, or most of them, sort of relate in some way or another, even if it's to mention just periphery players in the Kennedy assassination, they still seem to have 
some other role in a lot of other and con- a lot of these other uh, conspiracy stories. So you can, you can definitely almost dr- directly in some way. You don't even have to Kevin Bacon it. <laughs> yeah, hit the hit every major assass. You know Martin Luther King, RFK. You know uh, everybody from there up to Reagan and John Lennon. You could um, you could within a connection or two hook it up to JFK right you know instead of Kevin Bacon you'd say use the CIA as your hub of reference to what is it six degrees of Kevin Bacon you could six degree of CIA to almost any conspiracy theory and definitely any assassination what we know is that John F. Kennedy the president of the United States was shot to death in broad daylight in front of dozens of witnesses, several of whom were armed with uh, either video cameras or still cameras or whatever else. And in spite of all of this, all of these witnesses, all of this evidence, we're still not completely sure that Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin, is actually guilty of the crime. And as I see it, there are roughly two basic explanations. Either Oswald shot Kennedy to death all by himself or else there was a conspiracy of some sort involving multiple parties who did the dirty work and pinned all of the blame on Oswald. Would you agree? Yes. 100% that's definitely what happened. Whether Oswald was the one who got the shot off (laughs) or not, or even took a shot, there there, there was more... There's more to this than... Os- than the lone nut theory. The lone nut theory does not stand up to any, 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 any degree of scrutiny, you know, and never has. Well, actually, and that's and that was the uh, the tack I wanted to uh, to use with all of this. The problem is that both of those explanations have a shitload of holes in them. If you mm-hmm. think Oswald acted alone, you're left trying to explain how a self-professed communist somehow fucking renounced his American citizenship, defected to the Soviet Union, very possibly revealed classified information regarding the U-2 spy plane, got married to a local Russian sweetheart, had a change of heart, and somehow came back to the United States, not only with his Russian bride in tow, but on Uncle Sam's dime. And all of this is being done without being prosecuted as a traitor the second he shows up. Now, in France, what, that's what they call a metric fuck-ton of coincidences, mm-hmm. as I see it. The other problem, though, is that if, if you buy into the idea that there was a conspiracy of some kind, you're left with a fairly massive cover-up involving elements of the CIA, the FBI, the Office of Naval Intelligence, probably the Secret Service, very possibly the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, who's to say how fucking many civilians, I, we're talk, including the mob and the like, all, uh, Cuban exiles, all of this without anybody ever getting an attack of conscience and confessing, as well as the capitulation of the entire fucking Kennedy family, a member of whom was the Attorney General of the United, uh, of the United States Department of Justice at the time, but who never seemed to investigate who shot his brother, the president. So mm-hmm. what the fuck happened? Who the fuck knows? So, Arthur, show me what you got. Well, you know, if you want to count JFK's enemies, it was pretty much somewhat bu- somebody from everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the mob hated him because of his brother. Um, and and that that brought in the whole Cuba um, element of it too. Right. Um, definitely, people all the CIA really hated him because he he cleaned house with the CIA. Yes, he did. Basically, he 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 ruffled a lot of feathers. And it's hard to say, you know, whose feathers you're going to ruffle enough to the get to the point where they're going to off you. But the the thing that always the 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 thing that always clicked in my mind then made me go, "Ah, this can't be just this Oswald guy got off his lucky shot and was just a crazy guy who wanted to kill the president because you know when you start looking I mean you don't even have to look into it it's just part of the the history of the whole incident as it has been ingrained since it happened mm-hmm. you know and it was also the one of the first big things that happened when we had a nationwide media laid out too that could instantaneously break into TV and instantly tell people what was going on and start going over what was going on. Right. But the whole thing about the motorcade was the motorcade changed its route at the last minute. Right, yes, that is true. So, you know, how is Oswald going to be ready to, to sh- you know, was he just like, well, in case the president, I know he's in town, you know, so if I'm, so if he's in town, I might as well bring my gun to work just in case, you know. Right. But also he had a little, you know, book, or box set up to block the window and all that. Mm-hmm. So the, the the fact that the, it got rerouted into the place where he was going to get killed, which was also kind of ideally set up to to foil security, mm-hmm. made me think there's there's definitely more to this, you know. Right. As to I, you know, it's just like the UFOs. Scientifically, who knows who to lay blame on, and when it comes right down to it, it could have been a whole combination of people got together, you know, where, I mean, it's no stretch of the imagination to think that the mafia, big business, and politicians of, you know, the opposite stripe of Kennedy right. would run in the same circles and be like, we have a common enemy. Right. You know, maybe we can figure this out. Um, have you ever read um, the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson? I've heard of it, never read it. The Kennedy assassination, it basically, uh, it was written in the late 60s. So it was all the conspiracy theories up to then thrown into this big story. But much like this book, the hub of it all was the Kennedy assassination. Right. And at one point in the, you know, in the when the book is going full bore, all these different characters who've been on these all completely different storylines are all in in um, Dallas at that time. And, you know, there's one guy who's down in a gutter, mafia guy, he's down in the gutter getting ready to shoot Kennedy from, from under the road when uh, he sees a puff of smoke from the, the grassy knoll and sees Kennedy's head jerk back. And he's and then you know, climbs out and he's starting to go down the street and he sees you know the Oswald stuff guy. He sees someone on O8. He's just like Jesus. How many people 
<laughs> are here right now to kill this guy. And, uh, and that's sort of how I picture it. There's so many people that, that wanted to off him that I would think it's some, you know, I mean, it stinks of CIA to me mm-hmm. in, in execution because it's a collection of patsies and red herrings and, you know, the Cubans, the, the communists, the, you know, the lone nut, the, you know, the, there's just a million different people you can pin it on. Right. You know, and, and, and it seems like the CIA's modus operandi is to get someone else to do their dirty work, to set somebody else up to do it. So that way, if it goes wrong, you got somebody to blame. Right. Or if it goes right, you got somebody to blame. And usually those people end up dead. So that you know no tales are told right and i mean the kennedy assassination is just you know the, the his assassination was just the tippy tip of the bloodbath that happened afterwards if if it was a lone nut there is just the laws law of averages cannot account for the sheer number of witnesses and people involved in it who died in just completely almost blatantly obvious manner right which that smells like the mafia to me because when the mafia kill people they 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 kill them so that you know the coroner's like ah well maybe it was a heart attack but everybody else knows (laughs) no they were offed and a message is sent so there was definitely a lot of messages being sent (laughs) and with a lone nut there's no need for that you know there's no need for for there to be dead ends so yeah it's and and basically every assassination after that when I was a kid when John Lennon got shot right and when Ronald Reagan got shot and I remember both times from watching TV my picture of Mark David Chapman and Hinckley were almost the same sort of these like middle age puffy loser guys who are crazy taxi driver style you know right right down to Jodie Foster and 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 snapped and killed you know like you know um Chapman's um thing was he thought he was John Lennon so he had to get rid of the real John Lennon or was that yeah, Chapman was Lennon and Hinckley was... Yeah, he was trying to get uh, Jodie Foster's attention. He wanted to show off or impress her or something. I can only assume he was really disappointed whenever he found out which team she plays for. Right, right. Well, it, it, and then But then you start looking into both of them and they have weird ties to, to you know, CIA agencies and weird, you know... Um, Chapman had done CIA work in other countries and like killed people and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it, you know. And I I find out that as an adult, but that wasn't the story I was told as a kid. I just pictured it was some but some poor guy who went crazy, right. you know. Right. And uh, and I think um, that was supposed to be Oswald, but then when you look into Oswald's past, he's he he just seems like a kind of dumb just smart enough to be dangerous guy right just smart enough to be manipulated you know but you know just that that 
kind of gullible and it seems like maybe the government was manipulating maybe to spy on Russia or something but if he was spying on Russia he might have been that maybe he didn't even know he was spying on Russia because otherwise you know in Russia they sort of t treated him with kid gloves they set him up and they said okay you know we'll we'll uh we'll, we'll get you a job at the work farm and stuff like that and then he was just like ah just this isn't working out for me and they said okay and then the u.s government took him back whatever that doesn't happen well he know. well here's the thing actually when i was researching all this stuff what i found was he renounced his citizenship he formally renounced his citizenship in america he did not actually successfully play citizenship in in the soviet union they declined it they they didn't buy uh, a single thing that he was saying now whether this all came from you know heartfelt conviction on his part you know communism is the way they didn't believe him and right. i think that's key why didn't they throw him in a gulag then or make him into a like propaganda tool or something like that why would they well maybe they were just being smart and were just like ah this guy's well what i what i took away from it was that they suspected that he was a double agent from the start and so they never really put him in uh they're more sensitive areas and when it became apparent uh, and again I, I'm trying to look at this from a conspiracy theory point of view once it became apparent to everybody involved that he wasn't going to get access he was brought home but it wasn't uncommon for uh, for the Soviets to know when American double agents were in their country and on their soil and take not and basically not not immediately go out there capture the guy and you know throw him in prison and vice versa in the states we knew who or at least we had a pretty good idea of who and where the uh, soviet double agents were and we allowed them some freedom of mobility um as much as anything so that we could watch what they were doing right or they might have just been like yeah let's put him on a work farm let's be nice to him and and just give him a normal soviet life and be very friendly to him so even if he is a double agent he's got nothing bad to report you know he's gonna be like oh you know they put me to work on a farm and i had an apartment and and this and that and you know i don't know where any of the maps are <laughs> right and yeah it's just it's one of those things i don't know i mean i've always looked at it see i've been a uh, kind of an armchair student of the kennedy assassination for years I, I can't sit here and tell you i'm the leading expert on it i'd never make that claim but i think the reason that it's always been kind of fascinating to me is because how the hell does the president of the United States get murdered in front of dozens of witnesses, many of whom had uh, cameras of some kind, video cameras or photographs or whatever else, all of that happened without someone's head ending up on a pike. And so I've mm -hmm. studied a lot of <clears throat> studied a lot of the uh, different facets of the case, the players, the agendas, the means, the motives, the opportunities. But I've always had a hard time signing my name to the idea of a conspiracy theory just because there are so many holes. Like I said, there are so many agencies that would have to cooperate with one another in order to make this happen. The more moving parts you add to this, the greater the chance that someone at some point is going gonna, is gonna to say, you know what, fuck this, I'm blowing a whistle. Yeah, well, a lot of those moving parts are could be those bodies <laughs> well and that's true but a lot of those moving parts i mean the a lot of them are are, are are witnesses and i don't know i mean when push comes to shove what did the, what some of these witnesses what did they really see you know and and so because of all that 
I've usually tried to avoid speculating on what I think might have happened, mostly because I'm not completely sure what to think. But, because this is a podcast and it would be kind of boring if I didn't suggest something, I'm going to put an idea out there. Excellent. And, um, actually, I'm going to put out two ideas. Um, and uh, you listeners can take this with as many grains of salt as you see fit. Um, the first is... Have you ever heard of somebody by the name of uh, Fletcher Prouty? It sounds familiar, but I, I'll have to say no. Oh, okay. Well, he um, he's he, he claimed whenever he was alive, he claimed that he was an Air Force colonel, and uh, he had dealings to spare with um, the CIA. Okay. And, and uh, the character uh, Mr. X from uh, Oliver Stone's movie JFK was pretty much based on on Fletcher Prouty, and so. He, uh, as Oliver Stone took a few artistic uh, liberties with it. You know, uh, Garrison, Jim Garrison, and um, Fletcher Prouty never actually met until long after uh, the uh, Clay Shaw's uh, trial. So the scene where they, that big dramatic scene where um, you know Garrison goes to Washington and Mr. X just kind of peels back the curtain and says, "Well, these are the facts," and it's a lot uglier than you ever thought. That never actually happened. Um, it's basically it was supposed to be just sort of a summation of uh, information that had become available to Garrison over the years, and it, it's got some kind of historical input. But it's at the same time, this isn't. It's a metaphor, symbolic, right? So, uh, but he he put out um, the one conspiracy theory that I've ever found to be credible. Uh, he's the one that put it out there. And basically, what it's actually very short and very sweet because that's the way these things need to go. He said that basically, it would be a mistake to say that the CIA, military intelligence, FBI, Secret Service, all of these different uh, bureaucracies somehow, co- you know, collaborated on something like this and um, ordered an assassination. All right, this is uh, a very, a very sensitive thing, and you know it. At this, if you should end up getting caught in the act, handcuffs are the least of your worries at that point. So generally, what he said is the way the CIA does it whenever they want somebody taken care of, they just put word out through back-channel communications that the usual methods to protect so-and-so will not be observed at this place and at this time on this date. Yep, yep. And that person's natural political enemies... Just they can do whatever they want with they, that. They, they fill in the blanks. Yeah, they know what to do. Right, yep. but the the idea of the CIA having their own specialists out there taking pot shots. The, Proudy's issue is that that never happens. That's it, not how they work. Right. Well, and he said that if for no other reason, now this this has a direct tie back to the agency, and that's bad. Whereas if you know uh, you know for a fact that. Um, any politician is going to have uh, political enemies. So if you tell that group of people, you've got a clear field uh, at, on such and such a date at such and such a time. Nobody, I mean, there's there's no there's there's no paper trail there. There's no chain of evidence linking anybody to anything, because everybody involved has there there are no there, there's no connect there are no straight lines that you can draw between anyone, and everyone has a plausible way to deny everything, right? Even that, I kind of have a little bit of trouble believing in my speculation on all of this. And Arthur, I ask that uh, you just you hear me out until the very end. 
All right, I'm you jump on me. I drink so I don't spit take. Right. Oh, okay. Um, as I said, this you know this is a podcast. It'd be kind of boring if I didn't throw something out there. So, if someone were to hold me down and point a gun to my head and demand that I come up with some kind of a suggestion, I want to triple underline that a possibility. This might be it. I'm not saying this is definitely what happened. Hell, I'm not even saying this is what I think happened. I'm just going to put this out there as grist for the mill. Don't give it any more credence than that. So, you've got Oswald. Died in the wool communist. He shoots Kennedy, and shortly after, he gets arrested by the Dallas police. They know he's guilty. They're in the process of putting together a case. And hell, he may have even confessed. Who knows? Mm-hmm. From there... It's, un- it's, it's, it's unknown what might have happened. Maybe someone high up the food chain realized who all of Oswald's best friends are. This communist who's best buddies with anti-Castro Cubans, figure that out, Sever- several of whom participated in or sympathized with the Bay of Pigs. This someone realized this son of a bitch cannot be allowed to make it to trial. He knows too much, Right. But basically, things that could be very embarrassing to the United States government. Motherfucker just knows too much. Right. So they tell someone else, probably from the mafia, hey, we need to get rid of Oswald before he can unintentionally or intentionally open up a big can of worms about the United States government partnering with the very same mafia that Robert Kennedy was prosecuting at the time to help them take out Fidel Castro. And so to do that... They should use somebody who can't be directly tied either to the mob or to the government. So, Jack Ruby gets a call. The objective here, just so I can kind of clarify on motive, the objective here is to silence Oswald. The bastard killed the president, so he'll only be getting just what he deserves anyway. That's what people higher up the food chain think. Before, but and that you know, silence him before all of this can go public, and before some of the government's dirty laundry, things that maybe we don't know about even now, before stuff like that gets aired to the public. So, Ruby makes the hit, the case is seemingly closed, and everyone can move on already. What nobody foresees is a 60s-era conspiracy theory movement just coming out of the woodwork. We, the people, are not idiots, and they realized that something really weird has just happened. So, President Johnson, in an attempt to... uh, deal with all of this, he appoints the Warren Commission to build a case that convicts Oswald. Because again, in this scenario I'm throwing out here, Oswald is guilty. He really did do it. And so what the Warren Commission is tasked with doing is building a case that convicts him so that this issue can get put to bed and everyone can move on already. So the Warren Commission is given their conclusion in advance and then told, build a case around this premise. But they don't have access to the perp government agencies are stonewalling them because nobody wants the Dallas mob connections coming to light and eyewitnesses uh, to the assassination either can't be found or otherwise don't give reliable testimony and if you actually read some of this stuff they really don't the commission does the best they can with what they have but their case is sloppy because of the contortions they had to had to go through in order to reach their verdict and work backwards from their conclusion right and this, this fact doesn't escape the conspiracy theorists who are now louder than ever. Now, again, Oswald is guilty, 
but the com the case against him is completely fucking contrived because because nobody ever really put together all that good a case to begin with. So now the Warren Commission has to sort of reverse engineer one. So the conspiracy mongers are still going. So basically what I'm saying is the real conspiracy here is keeping the government's project with the mob to kill Castro and maybe other stuff that we don't know about. Keep those things on the down low. You got the government contriving a case against Oswald, whom the government knows to be guilty, while trying everything in their power to stay ahead of all of the conspiracy mongers. This was intended to shut Oswald up about the government's partnership with the mob, but his guilt, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be repetitious, but I just want to triple underline this. This is not a scenario where Oswald is a patsy. This is a, this is a scenario where he's the shooter. His guilt as to Kennedy's uh, murder in this case is not in question. He can't be allowed to shoot his mouth off in a trial, reveal secret partnerships and maybe other things, and possibly uh, jeopardize, I don't know, our efforts, for instance, to take down the communist in our own backyard. So Oswald gets turned into worm food, a bit ahead of schedule, but you know what? It's what the son of a bitch had coming to him anyway, so everyone can move on already. It happens on TV, too. Right, and I think that was a first, actually. But Anyway, except out of nowhere comes Jim Garrison, a busybody New Orleans district attorney, sticks his damn nose in this business and starts uncovering evidence of Oswald's defection, his social life, uh, the Cuban gun, gun running <clears throat> operations that Uncle Sam had been sponsoring, and basically other dirty laundry that sure makes the government look bad, corrupt, incompetent, possibly all of those, and then I, at that point raises very real questions as to what role they might have had in Kennedy's death, even though in, in this scenario I'm throwing out, they had no role in it whatsoever. What I'm saying is that Garrison is fundamentally an honest and good guy. He's doing what he thinks is right and exposing what sure as shit looks like a conspiracy to kill the president. Now, the truth isn't quite that bad, but the truth doesn't make the government look very good either. Now, if the government had some all-encompassing conspiracy to protect, it, at least to me, it makes sense to whack Garrison. At that point, the real battle is in the, is in the court of public opinion. And because for the moment, to hell with any trial that the Garrison may bring against supposed conspirators. If Garrison convinces enough people that the government killed its own commander-in-chief, if enough people think the government is guilty of, of, of killing their own president, we're talking about a full-scale fucking revolt. Yeah, yeah, people getting hung from flag from the light poles and stuff. Right. So preventing a total rebellion, especially over assassinating a president, would be worth killing anybody. Anybody. If they were guilty... Anybody at any time, nobody is safe. If, if, if they can and did get to the president, I don't see what would, you know, how, how Garrison would somehow be magically fucking protected from all of that. I don't think he would be. But if all the government is actually trying to do is protect their secrets, which are probably nothing more than questionable methods they use to protect America, rather than, I don't know, a full-blown fucking coup d'etat, they have to respond to Garrison's investigation. But they obviously decided that whatever secrets they're trying to protect, these are not worth murdering an American citizen over. So what they do, they try all in their power to discredit Garrison and destroy his reputation. And they probably think of that just as collateral damage. The brat should have minded his own fucking business. Yep. That would have been my rationale anyway. So they're fundamentally unwilling to kill 
a uh, an American citizen. And no need for violence. They don't need to send some goons to his house and rough him up. A, he's still an, uh, an American citizen any way you slice it. And B, honestly, the guy's heart really is in the right place. Right. I mean, put yourself in the government shoes. You're not guilty of what he says you, you're guilty of. But he obviously believes it, so... Can you really blame him for making such a big stink with the media about, you know, his investigation? Right, but at the same time, he's going to pull out the can of worms that they don't want. Right. On the side, you know, it's all sidebar stuff, but it would be, yeah. Right. A whole new scandal. And so he's, yeah, and that's actually, that, that's actually not word for word, but that's kind of the, the general point of what I, you know, he's trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle, but without all the pieces and without knowing what he'll be looking at when he's finished and he's basically just causing too much trouble now like i said the government will not kill the guy so they decide to discredit him wherever they can fuck up his case as much as possible and then they pray like mad that this thing ends up in front of a hard-ass new orleans judge who might rule some of garrison's findings inadmissible because otherwise they're going to have a real mess on their hands the best thing for everybody would be for Garrison to lose his case and everybody can finally move the fuck on already. Now, fortunately, Garrison ultimately loses the case and things seem to be finally cooling off. Now, all they need to do to put a bow on this thing is start portraying the conspiracy theorists as nut jobs and wackadoos. Anything, anything at all to smear them in public, to discourage anybody else from investigating it, it, nothing is sacred, right? What do you think about? Do you think they spread disinfo too? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, wouldn't I mean, you know, well, actually, you know what? We'll come, we'll come back to that. So, I guess my summary of all of this would be to say, the conspiracy here is not to falsely convict Oswald. It's not to make him a patsy or anything like that. Because in this scenario, the government is well aware of the fact that he actually fucking did it. The purpose of all of this was to uh, first contrive a case uh, against a legitimately guilty man, but, uh, but in the process protect the flimsy case they had against him, keep their anti-Castro efforts with the mafia off the front pages of uh, American newspapers, and maybe other secrets that we just don't know about so that everybody can finally move on. Yeah, shut it down. Basically, that's it. It's like the, the, the answer that everybody wanted was out there, but it wasn't... The problem is that answer wasn't satisfactory enough for people. Whether that means it's true or not, it it wasn't. It didn't fit what people would want from it. They did the narrative did not play out the way they wanted. But at the same time, the scrutiny to it is just going to screw them in all directions because it's going to open up stuff that. No, but you know, I mean, the whole story of him going to Russia makes is, and the thing is, all that all that stuff that they didn't want to get out has has gotten out as a direct result of this, pretty much, you know, over the course of time. So, Garrison was either right or he was not right. But if you suppose that he was right about his uh, case that there were, that there was a conspiracy of some kind, these are people that are serious enough to kill the president. Right. So people can say that, um, well, if if Garrison somehow turned up dead, that would prove him right. Well, you know what, guys? president turned up dead. <laughs> well, right, there's that. But the other thing was, uh, number one, you can make something like that look like an accident. And number two, 
like I said, the stakes that they're playing for, if, if, if you assume that they, that they killed their their own their own president, the stakes that they're playing for, this is this is ball game. If if word of this gets out and enough people believe it, I shudder to think. I honest I honestly don't know what would happen to this country. I really don't. See, but I don't know. I'd like to. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see if there's been a poll as to what people think. No, because... no, I don't mean so much now. I mean at the time. Oh, at like, the time. Like when Garrison was going through his case, if the common man, if enough, you know, Joe Sixpacks on the streets sincerely believed that the government had taken out their own president, I truly think that the government would have been facing a full scale fucking rebellion. I'd like to think that, <laughs> but I don't really know. I think the human beings as individuals are brilliant for the most part in general. Yep. And as a group, we're just dumb, dumber than the dumbest monkey in the you know in the world. We're 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 a stumbling, shambling like bait, like angry baby. And I think. There's been, and in, in the, especially in the last few years, there's been a lot of things. What now? Whether these are, whether the conspiracies are true or not, you know, that's completely up for debate. But there's so many people who, like, if you just have a conversation with them at the bar, and I used to work at a bar and hear like lots of like few beers go down and people start talking about it. You got your left wing and your right wing people. But almost all of them were like, you know, you'd get them saying, oh, yeah, I believe in UFOs or, oh, yeah, you know, common knowledge that, that Oswald was a patsy and 9-11. Well, we know somebody was behind it, you know, depending on who you're talking about. They, you know, that so there's just a common distrust in the government and the government's doing all this stuff. But I think people have just sort of accepted that as the way, oh, that's how governments have been since the beginning of time and politicians ah, they're all pieces of shit you know right. and I think a lot of that stuff I'd like to think that people would would storm into the streets but they don't really and when they do even a little bit it's a huge you know like Occupy was it was a big news deal but like when you get down to it it was a f- protest in a few cities and there were big protests but compared to like you know the kind of stuff that that changes of government and stuff where the people you know the populace comes out in the street we just don't do that you know at the most we're gonna sign some petition on facebook well right and but and and that's that's you know the american public today i think the american public in the 1960s before all of this cynicism set in if they this this seemed to bring an end to that the the whole kennedy thing seemed to be between kennedy and manson that pretty much, that pretty much, I think, book those were the bookends of, you know, Kennedy sort of happened at the beginning of the whole 60s movement and LSD and right. the youth movement and, and people in Vietnam and stuff. And, and Manson just sort of ended it, you know, clipped it off. And, and after that point, you know, you get into the 70s, you know, I don't hear any stories about any of the big protests from the 70s. Right, yeah, well, I think everybody was on coke by that point, but... Right. We didn't really have a war, either. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, no, it's just... My... my it, Look, it's not like I was alive back in the 60s, but my, my reference point on that is that 
the crime was still recent enough and Kennedy was a popular enough president, at least at the time that he was elected, um, that I think, you know, years later, if it had come out that uh, the reason that 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 he that that he was killed was because of a conspiracy instigated by the government. I I really do think that he was at least even if people didn't necessarily so much like him, and I think he was a fairly popular president. But even if people didn't so much like him, there were people in in the country who had a respect for the democratic process to where. They they would see this as um, this is the jump the shark moment. You know, if something like this is allowed to happen, this constitution that that we that supposedly governs this this country is is really just toilet paper, right? And w- something has got to be done, and I'm just the boy to do it. You know, you know. Look to 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 motivate something like that today, what you would need to do is basically take Facebook offline. Take Facebook offline. Shut down the porn. Yeah, something like that. But I yeah. think in those days, um, I, and again, maybe look, it's not like I was alive back then, so I can't say. But it just it, the prevailing sentiment at the time, it just felt like people had a little bit more. Or and by this, I mean, I mean like uh, adults, not so much the hippies or anything like that, but the adults right. had um, convictions and principles to where if something like this came out. They would do something about it. Now, whether it's true or false, if enough people simply believe it, truly believe it, then the government's got a very real fucking problem. And if they actually are guilty of conspiring to kill their own president, Jim Garrison's life is a very small price to pay to keep that a secret. I think that if if he was truly onto something, the guy would have turned up dead. He never had any bodyguards. He never had any kind of special security or anything like that. He was... Uh, just walking through the minefields all by himself, and there were any number of way, any number of times that um, uh, that uh, some mob guy could have gotten to him, and you could have even made that look like a random street mugging. The fact that the guy died in like 1993 of old age, as opposed to 1967 with a bullet in his head, I mean, that kind of tells me something, you know? Maybe he, and again, I'm not I'm not trying to cast aspersions upon his motives. My reading of Jim Garrison is that he's a he was a good and honest man. He was trying to make a good faith investigation of this of this crime, just trying to make sense of it the best he knew how. But well, he was an attorney. They could have found any they could have found any number of past people that he put in jail <laughs> to pin it, you know, to to off him. You know what I mean? Right. And 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 you know, I mean, it, it, it's one of the reasons that I that I keep going back to the fact that. If you if you believe that Oswald acted alone, that he shot the president all by himself, that story has holes in it. I'm sorry, it, it's it's not an easy sell. If you believe that there is a conspiracy of some kind, well, what you have to accept is that nobody has ever said anything, and we're coming up on what is it, 50 years? We're coming up on like oh, a lot of people have said things, but a lot of people have said all different things, which makes it seem like that they're saying it for to sell a book or or this or that you know what i mean oh yeah yeah there's lots of people who are like oh yeah i know exactly what happened i was there when the you know when they plotted it in the dark room and and this is what happened and uh that sells books but you know yeah nothing nothing that can be pinned down in a legal or or but I, I, I gotta tell you, the kind of people who kill people, who, who really, like, outside of just regular thug murderers, mm-hmm. on a level of, like, where if you have a lot of money and you want someone dead, mm-hmm. 
they're probably pretty damn good at it, you know, and they probably know what they're what they're doing. And, you know, I mean, there's been like, you know, there's been like times where there's obvious hits on somebody and it's just like, oh, they're found dead in their in their bed of a heart attack. Perfectly healthy, but blah, blah, blah. I don't know. You know, it all comes into the overarching capital C conspiracy, you Mm know? Right. Uh, When when you think about our government, what do you think of and as as is our government really what what it is or is it run by cabals and is it or or whatever? And uh, that's where you get into the sticky stuff with me, because I'm of the opinion that you know conspiracies of the the likes of where you know i had somebody tell me about how you know they got all the people in the plane who were on you know the flights that were supposed to fly into the world trade center and they flew them all out to another air force base and said oh there's been a problem and we have to switch planes and they switched them into the remote controlled planes and then flew them into the into the World Trade Center and all that. and I'm listening to this story and I'm just tallying up the number of people who would have necessarily had to witness, all the people who would have had to fuel up all the planes and and dispose of the, you know, the, the, the planes that were supposed to fly, you know, yeah. and cover it all up. And it, there's, it's just statistically impossible when you factor in human nature that somebody's not going to blab, somebody's not going to screw up, something's not going to go wrong with the weather, or, you know, some random element's not going to pop in and 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 foible something off. So conspiracies of that nature, where it's like the government, the mob, all that. I'd never buy any of that. I take that all with the hugest grain of salt, because human nature says. That when you have these cabals of sociopathic people, and I, for not for one second, am I going to deny that I don't think there's a level of sociopathic people who've attained a huge amount of wealth and power who do horrifying things in the name of keeping their wealth and power and keeping things the way they want them to be and even might have some weird ideas of like social engineering and stuff just because they're power tripping right but i don't think they can i don't think you can get them together and and i i think you could actually get them together in a big room around a table and that they probably do do stuff like that at like the bohemian grove and stuff like that yeah that's just weird the whole bohemian grove scene is just fucked up very weird. weird stuff. Very weird, but at the same time, uh, I have I have a whole insight into that. That's that's a whole other story. But I, you can get them all around a table and have them go, okay, let's run the world and stuff. But each one of them in their own head are going, I'm gonna screw every other one of these fifty, you know, other Illuminati members and end up to be the, you know. So they're all plotting against each other too. Right. So you can never, you're never gonna get, you're just gonna get a big clusterfuck of mess, just like any other human in, endeavor. So I just don't think that there's some, you know, any anybody who ascribes the power to run the world to any group. My favorite are the Jews run the world. I love those people who. Oh, you mean like that Protocols of Zion shit? 
the protocols of Zion shit. Every every time I go to any kind of protest, there's at least one guy who's and they've got that. Oh jeez, yeah, I, I, yeah. We they've got pamphlets that are basically like the Jews did it, and <clears throat> those those people have never bothered uh, apparently to tally up the exact number of Jews there are in the world compared <laughs> to every other kind of person in the world. Jews are what? They, there's like 10 million of them or 20 or something? They're not that yeah, many. There's, there's, there's like enough, there's enough of them to fill a, a big city, <laughs> you know, basically in the whole world. Compared to all the other races, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they're... No, no wonder they're 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 kind of touchy about people being anti-Semitic because, so and 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 to to think that 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 those ten million people could exert the power and influence to shape world events. Not that not that groups of you know there might be a group of Jews who've done something that's shaped world events behind the scenes, but to think of anybody as a sort of puppet master. Of it, unless there's some sort of Cthulhu-like or Emperor-like Sith Lord type thing, which <laughs> I say that as a joke, but there's people out there who there's there's whole conspiracy theories about that and the lizard people and yeah. and all that stuff and the royal bloodlines and all that. Well, actually, the royal bloodlines. Actually, there's something at least as far as American there's, presidents. There's something to that, but that's that's yeah, that's something that's. That's getting back to way in the beginning when you were saying, you have these people, Bob Lazar, you know, the same with David Icke. The first time I heard David Icke, he was talking about the bloodlines. And he was like, go to this website, you know, and it was a website that had, you know, genealogies laid out. Right. And it was, he was on our bell and he just proceeded for two hours to show you the genealogy for he's just like pick a president and art bell would pick a president and he'd say okay here they are off this royal bloodline and uh and i'm watching it going man this guy's onto something you know this guy's really done some research and thought this out and then you know about two hours later and he's he literally was just like and that's when the queen will you know will shift back into a lizard and will they like to eat babies because babies are pure and they have the most pure fear and that's delicious to them. Oh Lord, yeah, that stuff. Um, <sighs> well, so, look, I mean, I guess my I, my beef with these supposed secret societies that are in, that are in control of everything, um, you know, Masons and and whatnot. I mean, you get to a point where a secret society has been around for for centuries. I mean, this is by definition, this is not a recent thing. You know, and so if what they want is absolute global power over all things and all people at all times, hey, who wants that? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, just think about how much responsibility you've just willingly taken on yourself. I guess, I guess that's number one. But the other thing is, why haven't they done it? I mean, they've had centuries to do it. They've, they have all of these powerful, highly placed people. And oh, but Trentus, Trentus, who says they haven't? Who says they haven't? Okay, well, I mean, there's people who are, you know, I mean, that's where you get into the Bohemian Grove and the bloodlines that they're, they're, you know, every the last all the presidents who've been skull and bone members and masons and and on the bloodlines and 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 all that, you know, you can you can set up a viable case of it. But, you know, I mean, my take on the masons and the 
the, the Illuminati to me is just sort of like this all-inclusive word mm-hmm. that people use for yeah, it's a, it's a secret society. It's like a generic catchphrase for it. But the Masons and stuff, I pictured the Masons as being like the I I think some of those really rich, powerful people do get like we like all people do like I mean like weird religious cults and stuff like that they or they get ideas or they somebody gets their ear and says oh this is the way it is and and or they like the pageantry of it and stuff but they also use it to like control things to their favor but at at, at the base level what they do is they just set it up as a like masonic stuff like the moose lodges those are all masonic temples every time elks club anything in town right. and they set up a thing where you 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 find you set it up in the town and you try to get all the people who are the business leaders and who seem to be the go-getters and who are doing well and you try to get everybody on the on the same page and i think there's a level of it that's well-intentioned where we'll get all these people together these are the people who are into succeeding and stuff and we'll get them together to sort of work together behind the scenes to to in each other's interest and in this town's interest because we know best and all that and you have this tier of people who go to the lodge and to visit with their friends and drink beer and watch the game and stuff and the people that they think are they really like or they think are going somewhere they move up but it's not like they have their mystical ceremonies and stuff but who every club has their weird little initiations and fun stuff to 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 symbolically move you into the club with all the people but when it gets to the point of yeah just puppet mastering world events i believe that there's attempts at that and sometimes they pull it off but it's weird little disparate um compartmentalized groups that that try to do stuff like that because you know basically when it comes right down to it people will do anything for money or power it, it's and certain people will really do anything for money and power and when you and it's like gambling or whatever when you the higher stakes and tier you get to the more eggs get broken in the omelet so you have people who are like will like have people killed like chess pieces and i mean government when you're in the government you're sort of in that position people have sort of put you in that position where you know you're gonna have to do stuff sometimes it's gonna maneuver people into death whether it's your own people or other people or something like that and after a while they start thinking that they deserve it or they really know what they're doing maybe they do really know what they're doing or maybe they mostly know what they're doing or whatever but i think i think people tend to with everything put too much power into the hands of of whoever is the enemy or the the bad guy or who they perceive is working against them so you know it ends up being something that just can't they can't possibly live up to the poor illuminati having to live up to all all that <laughs> everybody knows the only the only group that 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 you should really be afraid of is the illuminati uh, us <laughs> <laughs> all right um 
Okay, so um, I think that's basically going to be it for that. Now, you want to go through a, uh, a uh, lightning round on, on these um, these other conspiracy theories in the book? Okay. One you of the go first? Yeah, sure. One of the ones that uh, jumped out at me, um, I'm actually going to have to flip over to it. I want to give an actual page number whenever we get there, if I can ever find the damn thing. Okay, see, this is me vamping for time here a little bit. Okay, here we go. Um, this is uh, the uh, skipping ahead to the um, the actual title of the thing. Yeah, here it is. Come on, baby, douse my fire. This is basically uh-huh. to do with uh, conspiracy theories revolving, for instance, around Jim Morrison faking his death, um, which I've never been just a huge fan of the doors. Um I, as a matter of fact, I don't want to get going too much on like the musical aspect of it, except to say, mm-hmm. I always thought they had, you know, pretty much the weakest rhythm section and all of rock and roll ever. My my theory is the Doors are fantastic for thirteen to to sixteen year olds. They're really deep and heavy when you're thirteen and sixteen, right. and the music is simple enough to. For you to digest. Right. After that, they're just kind of goofy and fun. <laughs> like I could listen to a Doors album now, but when I was like younger, I could listen to it and go, "Whoa, man! The Lizard King knows where it's at." And now it's like, "Wow, that guy was wasted." Right. And it's His funny that you. That, I mean, that that is my exact experience. I've. Um. It was the uh, first Doors album. I bought it uh, uh on a CD because I was a more. I'm, to some extent now, but really more so then, I was just kind of – I considered myself to be a little bit of a music junkie. And mm-hmm. I felt, well, it, okay, here it is. You know, you, you, you consider yourself you know, this, this big music fan, and yet you don't own the Doors debut album. I mean this, is, this was what set the tone for everything that they did later on. It all comes from this in some way or another, and you don't own it. Yeah, it's like a statement of purpose. Yeah, and so, I mean, it, it, it's almost like, yeah, dude, I love – 70s rock music. Hold on, Led Zeppelin 4. I've never heard of that. You know, I mean, what's this? So, anyway, and it was um, you know, brought it home, listened to it, and it really was I'm not I don't I don't want to overstate it, but at the same time it was just this really enjoyable, kind of amazing experience, you know, cuz I'd never heard anybody play like this before, you know? But it lasted, I want to say I guess I was like 15 at the time. It lasted about a year. Uh, well, yeah, they're okay, I guess, but I don't know. Just you, after a while, you kind of stop. You at least I sort of moved away from the ideas and just started focusing, I guess, more on the technique. And you know, I'm, their their rhythm section basically was John Densmore. So just from you don't even have a fucking bassist. You know, it's just a guy, and he's not even he's not even all that good. He's playing foot pedals mostly. Yeah, basically, yeah. And so I, I just didn't – I wasn't really blown away by that. You know, um, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Is it Was it Robbie Krieger that played, Krieger. Yeah, yeah. That, that played the guitar? Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. It just – there were well, – if, if you're talking about guitar players in the 1960s and, and the 70s, they come a lot fucking higher than that. Sorry. Jim Morrison wore, was what wore thin for me first. I enjoy – like the thing about I, – I enjoy – the fact that they're not very good musicians because i'm a musician who's not you know in a bit like sort of self-taught band 
So, like, we're not studied, well, a couple of, like, our drummers worked hard on studying music, but, you know, most of us aren't music lesson type people. We're just sort of feeling our way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which was what the, they, they were a bunch of 20 year old kids who were just like, ah, you know, let's form a band. And Jim Morrison was this, you know, poet leader of of the band and that's what what got me into it was the music was good and trippy and i was stoned and but jim morrison's lyrics it's like whoa that's deep and you know it's the first time i'd heard of apollonian dionysius and all of that and oh and the indian jumped indian soul jumped into his body when he was a little kid and it was all really fascinating and after a while it started you know sounding like bullshit and then eventually i became older than jim morrison was by and then even way older than Jim Morrison and now I look at him and go yeah he was just a you know he was a talented kid who was wrote some really pretentious poetry but he was earnest about it but he was just a big wasted mess you know and and you know like my one of my favorite bands is Iggy and the Stooges and when you listen to those early records you could tell they could barely form the chords you know they were stumbling, stumbling through it, but you know, I admire their energy and I admired the Doors energy. They had, they had balls to do a big long keyboard solo in the middle of their song, you know, like that meandering sort of keyboard guitar solo. But yeah, I mean, I think the Doors as a band only became really great like in the last few years when they did a little tour with a bunch of different singers singing for them. They did an MTV special too and it's like oh okay these guys have been playing for the last 40 years they got their chops up you know all right yeah so they finally know how to play now that's great yeah 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 after 40 years yeah they're 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 a fantastic band now whereas before they were but they had you know they had an idea and they had a sound and that's what they get credit for but Mm. yeah the whole jim morrison being i remember being fascinated with the idea of it when you know, oh, dude, he's got to be alive. But at the same time, I was also fascinated with the idea of Andy Kaufman being alive. Okay, well, all right. And I was actually gonna make gonna make that that very same. Thank you. That because God, I could I not have asked for a better bridge than that. But um, what a great comic that would be. Well, yeah, uh, but you know, like, I'm gonna try to find the nicest way I can say it. Um, Jim Morrison never struck me as the kind of guy that would have the 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 brains or the balls to fake his death. Whereas Andy Kaufman, hmm. we the the word troll just did not exist at the no, time that he was yeah. doing his thing. But he does yeah. he, he did sort of troll type of humor. Oh yeah. And his Andy Kaufman's biggest. Oh my problem, god! I'm gonna write a paper about that someday. You don't understand. You're you're right, barking right up my tree, dog. Well, <laughs> well that's great. But you know, like uh, when when you come right down to it. Andy Kaufman's big problem was that he was a young guy in 1980. If he was a young guy in 2010, everybody would understand what he's about. He'd have YouTube. Yeah. He'd be Tom Green or something like well, that. Well, except funny. Or That's better. the thing. He yeah. would be, but, um, but, you know, he would, he would fucking own YouTube. I mean, he would be the sensation mm. that's sweeping the nation. Everybody would, would just – but the limited media that he had at the time and people had – a particular idea about what humor is and what it isn't, you know, I don't know. I, we would get him better today, I think, than than they did back then. He he was just ahead of his time. That was his problem. 
Yeah. Jim Morrison and, was a fucking stoner who who OD'd. There's no secret here. He didn't fake his fucking death. He he died, and that's it. Okay, I I cannot convince mm-hmm. myself. And maybe it's just because I have no fandom wrapped up in the doors that I I get to feel that way. But I just I, I just look at the guy. He he's just another fucking sixties just fucking burnout. You know, yeah. that's all he is to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, it didn't it, because when once you get older, you, you can sort of see that when you're when you're a kid, it's just like oh, you know, this cra- it's romantic, you know, it seems romantic, but you know, I've I'm I'm 45 now, so I've gone I went through my 20s going crazy, not anywhere near Jim Morrison, and you know I was never a drinker or anything like that, but I've seen people who've lived Jim Morrison's lifestyle. And they either ended up dead or completely, you know, cleaning up their act. And, you know, but none of them were rich and famous like Jim Morrison. And unfortunately, when you're rich and famous, it usually there's usually nobody to stop you, you know, as much. There's a lot of people who sort of will egg that on and it's to their benefit and or or who think it's cool to to. You know, there's you're rich and famous enough, so you can have people around you who are gonna be like, "Hey, man, have another beer." You're Jim Morrison. Do whatever the hell you want, rather than going, "Dude, <laughs> go to bed, <laughs> get eight hours sleep." You know. Well, and now these, these days, actually, people like that, people who are rich and famous, do have people like that. You know, I think unless do they? I, think I mean, Amy been, Winehouse could have used somebody like that. Well, Amy Winehouse didn't get someone. I mean, Winehouse could have used somebody like that. I mean, she was insanely mentally ill, obviously, and and troubled. You know, insanely troubled, and you know the Lindsay Lohan's and stuff like that. But I think there are lots of you know people get like people will hire people. Starting like the Beach Boys were actually, I think, forerunner. Dennis Wilson was the, or Brian Wilson was the, the forerunner of that, of having like, you know, like almost like personal trainers slash handlers who would, you know, come on, man, we're growing wheatgrass for two weeks and, and jogging. Right. You don't get as many Amy Winehouse. I mean, in the 60s, they were dropping like flies. And it's, it's a, it's a lot less common nowadays. We have, there's there's a better rehab system <laughs> now than there was in those days you know there's the the word the 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 word intervention wasn't really a catchphrase back then yeah that's know, very or, true or a thing nowadays yeah okay so anyway i guess to kind of put a bow on that um i don't think Jim Morrison faked his death. I think he died at the time everybody thinks he died. And there's just not very much to say about that. And anything else to the contrary is sort of wishful thinking. What I will say, though, is this. I do want to close this part of the conversation, though, with just a really weird, just kind of fucked up story, if you'll indulge me. Oh, sure. Um, This was, um, I said it was like a year and a half or two years ago. It was something. Um, I was at this... I was at a, um, a movie theater uptown, and uh, there was – it was a midnight showing of um, a movie. I didn't know anything about it at the time. All I knew was that it, it was supposed to be something to do with medicine or something like that. It was a movie called The Human Centipede 2. Oh. Yeah. 
anyway, but before the movie started, uh, this is in a um, a part of town where a lot of college kids and stuff hang out, and so you get you see flyers and stuff like that hanging around. I don't go there as often as I used to because I'm not in fucking college, but um, anyway. One of the little flyers I saw posted outside of the movie theater. This is sort of an old-timey type of movie theater. It has uh, basically three screens in there, two upstairs, one downstairs. It's a pretty nice little place. And what they do is on you know uh, Fridays and Saturdays, they generally uh, have some sort of a midnight movie going. Obviously, like I said, that, that weekend it was um, Human Centipede 2, and I had no, I, I'd never seen the first one. I didn't know what any of the stuff was about, so... God, help me. So um, anyway, waiting outside, and there was a flyer posted, and it basically uh, was announcing – I don't know if this guy was – to kind of call back to Andy Kaufman, I don't know if this guy was trolling or, or not, but he said that he was basically putting together a group of people. They're going to go over to France to a Père Lachaise Cemetery where um, uh, uh, Jim Morrison is buried, and – do all in their power, try their level best to raise him. I thought he was moved out of that cemetery. Well, it just said somewhere okay. in, in uh, Paris. Uh, to be honest oh, with okay. you, I'm, I'm putting stuff on there that may not actually have been there. But it, it basically said that this was going to be a, a ceremony of some sort in an effort to raise him. And it was basically you tear off a tab and, you know, that's text – you know, email this address right. for for more information, or text to this number for more information. You know, something like that. And so when sounds like an art art project to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I'm I'm thinking. You know, really, what I think somebody was doing here. I'm just I, I was just just standing there, just kind of calling it like I saw it. Someone, they're what they're really doing is they're conducting some kind of a sociology experiment. Uh-huh. And um, you know, and that's what I really thought was going on because some of the tabs all the same, you know, whenever I showed up, all of the tabs were there. I went out later to ha- to uh, have a cigarette break and a couple of the tabs had been ripped off, which to me meant there were people out there that saw that and thought, "Gee, Wally, I want a part of that." And and so it's almost like it doesn't matter if if they're actually going to try to do this or not. I'm interested in it <laughs> just from a sociological point of view. I mean, what kind of fucking idiot are you that you can just I don't, whatever. I don't know. If it's in College Town, I wouldn't put it past. I mean, if I was in College Town and I saw that, I would pull it. I would. I would take it, but totally on the sociological. I would be like, I want to find out what this guy's dealio is. I I answered an ad in the in the newspaper once, and it was somebody looking for a to write help them write lyrics for a song, but it sounded like a dating come on. Mm-hmm. But not enough to where where it was like, oh, I'm gonna do a cute, you know, be my writing partner, and then we could take long, you know. And we were reading it and having this big argument, and I'm like, I'll call him up, and I like call this woman up, and I'm just like, are you looking for somebody to write like a songwriter to help you with the songs, or are you looking to date? And she goes, well, I don't know. I guess I guess I would look for someone to date too, and it was like. Oh. Some weird. She had no idea. Oh wow! <laughs> and I was almost not glad that I called, but you know, I'm I'm always tempted to look it look into that for better or worse. Mostly worse. You can ask Scott Gardner if you ever talk to him. The freaks will just if you if if you're walking in a public place and there's somebody like mumbling and talking to themselves, you have to sort of like form a circle around me and shuffle me off in the other direction because they're going to be they're going to like make a beeline 
right over to where I am. Oh, yeah. Well, as far as uh, conspiracy theories, do you have um, – we we're trying to do a lightning round, and then you and I keep <laughs> diverging with each other. It's hard with me. I'm a, I'm a rambler and a blabber. I love the MK Ultra stories. Um, story, the mind control, Manchurian candidate stories. I love those. Those are, you know, whether I believe them or not, they're the most compelling and interesting stories to me because they're just the most creepy and insane story. You know, that, that you could maybe program somebody that when they, you know, when they hear a certain phrase or something they go into their secret program mission i love that stuff and well um my understanding is the mk ultra aspect is that's pretty much settled we know that that really happened it's the oh, Man- yeah. the manchurian candidate aspect that is sort of up for grabs now the reason well, we i've always they tried to do that we know that they were in that that you know it's i mean in the say all the mk they, they were trying trying to make Manchurian candidates for the main reason that, you know, the rumor was around town that that's what China was doing and Russia was doing. So we, we, we were like, we've got to look into this and whether, you know, whether that was a success or failure, it kind of looks like it was a failure, like a miserable failure, like all their chemical and means of, of, uh, making people do what they want to do sort of fell flat you know they they thought ellis if they gave people lsd they they could use it as a truth serum and that didn't work it was you know probably just freaked people out or gave them laughing jags Mm -hmm. and uh so all the people that when you get into manchurian candidate when you get into the conspiracies of that and they explain it, it's like, oh, well, then it branched off into a, you know, an even darker group that, that set up the Manchurian candidates. But then there's stuff that happens that's that just stinks of it. Like, you, do you remember the DC snipers? Uh, uh, that was like 10 years ago, right? Hmm? Yeah. The the two guys, the, the, the one guy and his young follower and... Uh, and they were, you know, they were picking off people from the trunk of their car and living in their car. Right. Well, like, just before they were captured, they had that weird, and I'm trying to remember the sheriff's name. I can't remember the sheriff's exact, any of his name. But the sheriff of the the area that they were mainly shooting people in had a news conference and I, and I just happened to catch it. This was back when I had TV and would watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he caught the press conference. And he was he says, you know, I want to make an appeal to the, you know, the shooters to, to stop whatever they're doing. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and it's been made clear to me that it's very important that I say the words like a duck in a noose. Oh. And then he just and then he just goes on, and and into you know and you know law enforcement's going to do everything to keep people safe you know just into this normal spiel, and I was like, what the hell was that, you know, you know my my two radars that were going off on it was, they got a letter from these from the snipers, and 
and for some reason the snipers are trying to get him to say that or something you know some crazy crazy person that you know is weird right or it's some kind of catch i mean it's totally sounds like you know the the duck walks backwards in the night you know it's just a a strange phrase that somebody's not going to randomly utter you know and then and then within i think it was like within 24 hours they found the two guys with the guns with the ammo out of the guns and the guns set on the top of the hood of the car and both of them sleeping inside the car and and uh, that weird, is weird yeah and and the the one kid that you can go and see some of the stuff that he's drawn when he was in custody you know his just sort of they gave him paper to draw on and write on and keep a journal on right Ooh boy <laughs> it's you know right out of it's right out of stuff that i've read about mind control people but at the same time mind control people seem very much like people who are schizophrenic <laughs> right so you know what what do you think about that but man that's you know that's weird and and i want to be mr skeptic and then i hear stuff like that and it's just like oh jeez <laughs> <laughs> there very well might be a rational explanation for it but it makes it hard <laughs> all right now um another conspiracy theory that i wanted to talk about mostly from i guess the aspect of ignorance more than anything mm-hmm. Project Paperclip, which, as I understand it, this was a. Um, I'm trying to think of the. I guess this was an effort to move uh, the Nazi uh, scientific apparatus mm-hmm. into the um, United States and basically put them to work for us. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of those things that I don't have a dog in this fight either way, but I. I guess what I the, – the part about this that never made sense to me is I guess what was so special about the Nazi scientific apparatus that, that we looked at that and said, you know what? Those guys need to be working for us. You know, It's not that I don't believe it or that I do believe it. It's that I, I guess I don't understand, A, why we would want them or, B, why – unless they're war criminals, why it would be a big deal if, if they did work for us. Well, I, I think for uh, – I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, 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 I agree with the – why would it be a, a big deal if we got them to work for us? Because I basically pictured it as okay. You had you, you have a lot of countries, and you have your first your first world, you know, well-to-do countries like the United States and stuff who have big budgets to work on their science, and 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 you know, big countries that have a big population. You get some real, you know, greater amount of smart people and Germany was one of those really successful Germany was having its troubles but it was traditionally like a pretty strong country and had like a lot of good and was a country that valued science and technology and also valued precision and you know like German workmanship was always known as being very precise and very good you know german products were known to be strong and stand up for a long time then when the war started those scientists were like anything else you know scientific progress often gets fueled by war 
and war machines that later after the war is over get that technology can get converted into the civilian thing but but basically germany had this huge war machine and pretty much you know like a lot of you know i mean to say someone was a nazi you could say that that a good chunk of germans were nazis how many of those people in their hearts were nazis you know and how many of them were caught in circumstances and like anybody else in any other part of the world where they're like look it's either go along with this or die <laughs> or or worse or you know or we're going to go along with this and it'll get better or you're a scientist and it's like all right now i'm up in the hierarchy you know i got all this money i i don't have to worry about my family eating during the war everybody else is tightening their belts and i'm hanging out with the the higher ups right and all this and at the same at the same rate what what other thing what else are they going to do uh, they're going to say no i'm not going to work for the nazi war effort well they're going to be then they're going to be digging their own grave you know 24 hours later so you know scientists are scientists they work on their science and what you know when we brought those german scientists how many of them were like aryan supremacists i doubt very many of them at all you know i doubt very many many of them might have mouthed it along to go along with it but i think in i think in germany the only people who really believed it were like maybe a few like hitler might have been crazy enough deranged enough to believe it and and his i think the the other like the gorings and the 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 other ones around hitler goebbels and all those guys i think they all saw that as a good tool for fueling the you know the the ignorant people in their populace to it i think you know there there were probably a certain number of th- uh, thuggish elements of the populace that they could get to go along with it as in any populace but a lot of the people i i just don't, that's why i never got all wound up when everybody's like the new pope used to be a nazi youth and it's like i think that was required by law i don't think he exactly even had a choice. exactly it was it was yeah, it was like mandatory. It was basically like mandatory Boy Scouts in Germany. If if you lived in Germany at that time, you were a Nazi youth. So, and you know, the word Nazi is just you, you don't want it. It's like child molester. You don't want it in any way, shape, or form attached to it. And I don't blame the entire world for having a stank on the word Nazi. But I never viewed paperclip as like. Oh my God! We brought these people with horrible blood on their hands over here. Now, then again, there might have been some people who did horrible experiments on people that we brought over too, because you know, I I could see us being like, okay, well, that was horrible that they did that to people, but we could use that information. <laughs> Well, and actually, that that was the reason I wanted to get into Paperclip right after the um, MK Ultra stuff because I thought, well, I have no idea. I mean, I I'm not really, I guess, aware of what all type of um, experimentation was done, you know, under the Nazis. Bad. But it's well, right? Yeah. But I mean, it, it, the minute you 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 hear the phrase human experimentation, yeah, it's not going to a good place. 
And if those were the types of people that were being brought over, I could see that you know that they could be likely candidates for rec- being recruited into MK Ultra and all that stuff. I mean, that's me basically just connecting two things that may not mm-hmm. actually be connected, but it just it feels like it's it's an or, it's an organic thing to go from it, and I, I can't believe I'm describing it in these terms, but to go from experimenting on innocent people to trying to mind control innocent people. You know, it, it one is not so far away from the other. You know. No, a lot of the not. Uh, yeah, well, all of it's all of it's in some way a form of control. You know, whether it's on a psychological level or or whatever. But yeah, I I, I mean, and and there's a whole there's a whole conspiracy about those guys, the even the ones of them who are in that in the Montauk project, is another one that has a lot to do with. Uh, with mind control and stuff. As a matter of fact, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson, it's pretty much like where they take him to torture him and and mess with his mind is it's pretty much based on Montauk, which was supposedly a group of Nazi scientists and American black ops trying to control mind control people and also using alien technology to to build machines that could control reality that's a whole that's going to be a freak file someday that's all tied in with the philadelphia experiment which is also notoriously missing from this this book yeah i was I actually that's that that was actually going to be one of my final notes actually and um I'm, I, as i look at the clock we probably should yeah i was going to say i yeah, i i could lightning round through a whole bunch more so yeah um, i think well it, it, do you, would you like to because um, no no i'm saying it, it would be four in the morning right exactly okay yeah i was what i was hoping we could do is just sort of wrap this up because we're already past the three hour <laughs> yeah um okay but one of the things though that, that sort of stood out in my um review of the book this time was that something as obvious as um and I almost said the philadelphia story jeez i'm getting it, it's late and i'm getting kind of punchy but the Philadelphia, um, what was it, yeah. the, the project, experiment, mm-hmm. um, that was conspicuous only by its absence. And that's one of the, I think, one of the um, more memorable conspiracy theories of the mid-20th century. This oh, really, yeah. And I don't, even, I don't even know if I want to go so far as to call it a conspiracy theory, but this really just weird, fucked up, not completely substantiated thing that happened... If that makes it a conspiracy, then fine. But it's a huge one, and it also ties into paperclip and stuff like that. So they could have worked it right into the whole, you know, all the themes in there, you know. And yeah, and it's definitely that's. I mean, it's definitely one of the lesser. There's there's less information to back up that conspiracy, but that also makes it more fun in a lot of ways because it has a lot of crazy elements to it but then again it has a lot of it has just enough ties to reality that you can go and verify a few things you know so it's it's always really interesting and it could be something that was just put up to cover up something more you know down to earth but just you know secret <laughs> and uh, that that would happen that would be weird so they put a, a weird cover story to it, but the, the the story of the Philadelphia experiment is so weird that it's, you know, I mean, that it 
I just can't believe that it's low hanging fruit. <laughs> it's so obvious. Right up in the yeah, it should have been right up in the front of this. I I, I wonder about that. And uh, but then again, maybe they thought that was just one that everybody. That's that that one's had uh, a movie about it and best selling book. So. And I guess you know maybe what it comes down to is marquee appeal. If you're gonna if you're gonna yeah. sell a, a comic book encyclopedia type of thing about conspiracy theories, a substantial proportion of your uh, attention, I guess, needs to be focused on John F. Kennedy's assassination and UFOs, and then fit everything else in there as as best you can. But those are going to be your two leads. So, all right. Well, uh, look, I just want to. Uh, First of all, thank you for spending three and almost three and a half hours um, going through all this stuff with me. I really appreciate that, so thank you. I could have done twice as much. Uh, you know, sadly enough, I could have too. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell everybody where they can find you. Well, you can find me at twotruefreaks.com, where we have about 40 bazillion podcasts coming out every week, and all of them are free, as a good podcast should be. I would agree with that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Every kind of nerd, any anything nerd, you can you can come over there and get it. We haven't set up our Fifty Shades of Grey podcast yet, but we're working on it. Yeah, wait five minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, either way. Bye, everybody, and um, thank you very much. And we are out. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network you can find the home for trentus magnus punches reality at two truefreaks.com which is spelled t-w-o-t-r-u-e-f-r-e-a-k-s you can also find it on facebook just by searching for trentus magnus punches reality there you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when i put them up You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me. And I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. 
Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. I am so sorry. Uh, did you have to wait long? No. Oh well, you know, all I have is my uh, electronic cigarette. Uh, do do you, you do you ever, have you ever used electronic ones? Yes, I have. The the only problem with them that is I started out using these ones we ordered off the internet, mm-hmm. and they were great insofar as they were inexpensive. It probably cost you about forty bucks to get all set up, and they were the ones that you could buy the fluid for. Oh, okay. And one little bottle of the fluid was like five dollars and would last me a month. Right. And was and was like flavors, you know, like black cherry and stuff like that. Oh, all right. So it was really, so it was really, it wasn't trying to be a cigarette or anything. It was just like a pleasant tasting candy color. And people hated those things because, I mean, having candy flavored nicot, you know, concentrated nicotine is not good around like kids <laughs> all right so um now um you've you've uh, finished the uh, book oh yeah oh i've read this i've also read this book many 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 times i've got a well-worn copy of this book oh okay all right so and i was also thinking that i should go under the name arthur ratnick because it's my conspiracy name Oh, so you so whenever I put this episode together, you want to be credited as Arthur Ratnick. Arthur, Arthur Ratnick. And when I introduce yeah, you, you want to be credited again as Arthur Ratnick, or yeah, you could and you could you know from the Two True Freaks podcast and all that, and I'll you know I'll just say it's that's my since since you've got Trentus Magnus. Yeah, that's okay. as well. I might as well we might as well have our fake name when we're talking about the conspiracies for safety's sake. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? I should record. I should get my recorder recording too. Yeah. Let's see. All right. That's why, like, the prank call people, the masters always, when they go too far, they immediately back right down and work the people back up into confidence before going too far again. I just, like, we used to have scam people that would call this one place where I worked, and they were in, uh, I'm, I'm assuming they were in Jamaica. They were all Jamaican. And I once I found out you know what the scam was and they would call us like clockwork every month at the beginning of the month and it would be some different guy and I would just talk to it and I'd be just hang on just a minute I gotta go do some work and I put the phone down and I'd leave it as long as I and I'd come back okay and uh, <laughs> and after a while I would start being like you know you have to send me a picture of your mother <laughs> and they're like why and I, I'm like because I'm pretty sure I saw your mother fucking a dog, but I just want to be sure. <laughs> and then they would get really mad. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> it was 
awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. It was even more awesome when there was somebody who hadn't seen it happen before, you know, watching me on the phone and like just sort of eaves, you know, another coworker and eavesdropping and like, what the hell? What? <laughs> What's going on? Well, the best is always whenever you can do it with an audience. So I'm psyched. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I am too, actually. Um, now, there's one of these things I want to talk about specifically to knock it down. Yeah, I hear it. Like, no moon gate. This is the um, the supposedly oh, faked yeah. uh, moon landing. I'm not really sure where you come down on this, but... Oh, I, Scott, Scott and I did a Freak Files on this. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Oh. We're firm firm believers that we landed on the moon. Oh, yes. okay. All right. Well, yeah, and, and okay. Then I, I guess I don't have to persuade you about it. But this is this is one of those things that... I'm almost insulted. Any, I almost feel insulted anytime somebody somebody mentions it. And understand, I mean, I'm not the Moon generation at all. I wasn't even born until 1980. But it's so offensively stupid to me that I, you know, that's. I think that's a, probably about the nicest the nicest way I could say it. You know, the people that yeah are determined to label this some sort of a hoax or a conspiracy or something like that. I mean, I watched an episode of um, Penn and Teller's bullshit on uh, YouTube, Yay. and they did a uh, an episode on conspiracy theories. And so one of the things that they talked about this this kook uh, who who pointed to that that very thing that you just mentioned. It's basically a rock, and it looks like yeah. it's got a C stamped on it. Well, they actually had someone yeah. from NASA come out there and, and uh, talk about that, and you could tell that this guy. For as pissed off as you and I get dealing with these uh, moon hoaxers, I can only I, I shudder to think what this guy has to go through because he's the one that actually has to fucking deal with them. You know, I right. at least can. Well, and the people at NASA fucking worked hard to get people in the moon, and then to have some Yahoo who has no like actual concept of science sit there and go. Oh well, it's obvious that this and this and this. He has no physics degree. He has no knowledge of photography anything he's just looking at a like a third generation picture out of a magazine and going well it's obvious that this is fake and this is fake and saying it to a scientist who you know has dedicated his life to that and yeah there's there's a video i can't remember which um astronaut it is but one of these guys who's a fake scott posted up regularly just for inspiration and the guy had been following this astronaut from place to place trying to, you know, confront him about the the moon landing being faked. And Was this Buzz Aldrin? Buzz Aldrin, yeah. And he gets right up to him and he's like, you're a liar and you've deceived the public. You're a liar, sir. And Buzz Aldrin just... Cold cocked him, dude. Cold cocks him in the face. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah... Uh... I would almost not really want I, I, the guy's name escapes me, which may be a good thing. I because I I wouldn't even want to mention it in the uh, mm -hmm. in, in mm -hmm. the show. Just because even if it's to to totally destroy the guy's point, I still don't want to give him any free press. But right. as far as um, like the other moon hoaxer was concerned, Penn and Teller actually uh, debunked him two different ways. First, they brought the uh, NASA guy out and he said, "Guys, do I seriously even need to answer this?" He kind of just you know gave that sort of exasperated type of preface, mm -hmm. and then he said. Here's the original photograph, and he holds it up, and no C. And then he said, here's the second or third or fifth or whatever it is generation photograph. At some point in the food chain, like a, an eyelash or something like that had fallen yeah. down. And he said, that's all it is. And and so... Um, yeah, but don't you know they air, they airbrushed it, and now they can touch it up, and that's the story now. They, and they got it all... 
Well, and, and they actually covered it from, from the other way, where um, uh, I think a, a Penn Gillette walked over to his prop guy, because this guy said, oh yeah, well this is what they do whenever they make uh, props for movies. They put letters and shit on them, right? So, uh, just rather theatrically, uh, Penn Gillette just goes over to uh, his, his uh, prop guy and he said, have you ever seen a prop like this that has letters and shit stamped on it? Guy says no, and he's like, okay, well, either we know what we're talking about or we're part of the conspiracy too. What's it going to be, guy? <laughs> You got two options now because we've never seen anything like this. So either we're telling the truth, or, or we're furthering this the, this pointless conspiracy. <laughs> like the, the the faked moon landing. They they addressed that only only to the extent that uh, I don't know. Just to acknowledge that it's out there. But even as they did so, you could kind of see that doug minch he's obviously a little bit of a conspiracy nut oh he knows stuff for sure yeah or i bad actually that's a very bad choice of words um conspiracy theory expert enthusiast yeah there you go you know so for him to touch upon the the faked moon landing just to say that this is what people think and you can even tell from the art that they are looking down their nose at this theory i mean yeah sure these the the creative people behind this book they are all for a good conspiracy yarn, but let's keep it in reality. And that and that was sort of the the tone of the fake moon landing thing. It just surprises me that they that they couldn't have given something just one page or two pages or just you know something similar for um, the Philadelphia thing, just to say that. Well, and there's also this story too. I don't know what the fuck to make of it, but nevertheless, is what people are saying. So here it is. Right. 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 I'm going to stop the recording because it's been going for like, what's it been, like two hours now? Two hours, yeah. I'm doing the same thing. Stop.